All right, folks. We all know that one of the most common mishaps in hunting is damage to your rifle scope. Last year, I found the solution to that problem with the Stealthy Hunter rifle cover. It wraps around your scope and action securely to protect it from getting knocked off of zero or even severely damaged. Stealthy Hunter also has a glassing pad and a wide variety of supplements for the outdoorsman, such as protein powder, CBD products, turmeric, and gut health supplements. They also make a lightweight trauma kit weighing in at just 14 ounces that includes everything you need and nothing you don't for all of your backcountry medical emergencies. To shop all of their equipment and supplements, go to StealthyHunter.com and enter the discount code at checkout, The Northern Hunter, to save on your order today. All Stealthy Hunter equipment is proudly made in the USA. Listening to the Northern Hunter Podcast, home of all things hunting, fishing, and outdoors in Alaska. All right, everybody, welcome back to the show. My name is James Payne. I'm Dalton Gray. <laughs> Should we leave this in there? Oh, we can. My gosh. I don't care. <laughs> I can't see James not liking this. He doesn't like unsmooth intros. <laughs> I was away from the mic. I forgot I had anything to say. <laughs> forgot to introduce yourself. Well, so it's well just... I'm here. This is Brian Humphreys. <laughs> <laughs> if you guys could see the way he dove across the room. <laughs> he, was, he was halfway to the windowsill to put his Red Bull can next to the other stack of Red Bull uh-huh. cans. Yeah, and we're getting quite the... Uh, what would you even call that these days? It, it's the wall of Red it's Bull. It's the wall of Red Bull. It's <laughs> yeah. the Red Bull window. It was a stack of Red Bulls at one point, and then it's it's growing. So yeah. <laughs> the entire bottom row is filled up now. This show a, is brought to you by Red Bull. Not like actually, but <laughs> if it wasn't for Red Bull, we wouldn't be here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not brought to you by Red Bull, but yeah. sustained by Red yeah, Bull. Yes, yeah, that's a better exactly. that's a better term for it. <laughs> Yeah, I, I wish we could have had that on video. Yeah, it would be awesome. Well, one, one of these days, days, one of these days. Yeah. <laughs> All yeah, right, guys. Well, well, thanks for uh, thanks for tuning back into the show. Uh, this one's going to be a little interesting. We've got several different topics to hit because uh, we had some scheduling changes last minute and kind of, you know, took us by surprise. So we've got some things here we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about some bullets. We're going to talk about some safety, possibly. So, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, for anybody... Any new listeners, uh, thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, Dalton, you were just uh, you were just out of state. You went outside. In, in, in the great outside. The great yeah. outside. I don't know how great it is. It's I, like it. I like it inside. It, it, it's only my but. second time outside of Alaska in the last decade. Really? Yeah. I, I went to That's Ohio impressive. to visit family the last October mm-hmm. and uh, made it a little over a year without going again. Uh, but this uh, last weekend... Yeah, well, I guess by the time this airs, it'll be about a week and a half ago now. Um, Just but yeah, my, uh, my dad and I traveled out of state uh, to a church wild game supper that we got invited to that has like a couple of booths there for outdoorsmen and the NRA had a little booth there, I believe it was. And uh, they invited me down to g- give a little speaking presentation for the mm-hmm. podcast and the, and the show. And I had a little little booth set up there with some Yukon River knives and some stealthy equipment and some 60-inch club game bags. 
And uh, yeah, it was very well received and had uh, a lot of folks showed up. I think it was north of 500 attendees at that, nice. uh, at that event. So very yeah, nice. I got to meet a lot of new people and yeah, people uh, seem to really like those Yukon River knives, man. There's something about uh, something about those knives. They're nice knives. Actually ran into a, believe it or not, all the way down in Virginia. Um, there were a couple of folks that knew about the show. Oh, really? Yeah, nice. Like, oh, I listen to that podcast. You don't have to say believe it or not. I mean, that, that's, yeah. that seems very far removed from Alaska. It I mean, is. Believe it or not, you could go across the ocean and find people but yeah, know about there, the show there was based a couple on the emails of, we've gotten. Yeah. There was a couple of uh, listeners that traveled in from Wyoming, I believe it was, mm-hmm. and uh, some, some young gents from, from the out west there, and they came in and... And then a few folks from around the Virginia area that uh, that were listeners. So yeah, it was good to meet a lot of new folks and share some stories about Alaska and yeah, bring some new folks into the fold. So yeah, if, if this is your first time listening or you're you know uh, just a couple episodes in, we appreciate it and hope you enjoy the ride. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And if you uh, decide to go back and listen from the beginning, it's uh, it's going to be a long long I, train. I, I, I got to tell you, <laughs> I, 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 I did my best to try to forewarn people i said you know that the quality really went up at about episode 30 something when we got audio (laughs) audio polished up and yeah i think it was in the it was probably the early 20s i'd say okay a few people recently be like yeah man i went and listened to your show i started at episode one and i'm like and he goes and your audio is really good (laughs) yeah well, just, you just keep, a little later. Just, yeah, just, just keep waiting. There. It gets it gets much much better. We uh, we we had some issues at the very beginning for anybody that hasn't listened that far back um, with some echo. Yeah, yeah <laughs> and this, this, we, this, Mo did a wonderful job of managing it as best he could. Yeah, um, but yeah, I, I don't think I can go back and listen to anything before number ten. No, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, we were still. Just just young fellers trying to <laughs> trying to navigate the podcast land. And we're still trying to get better. Oh yeah. Always improving. Always yeah. improving. But yeah, thanks for all the support and uh, all the good feedback that you guys had down there. That was a lot of fun to get to meet a lot of new people and hopefully do more events like that here going forward. Yep. So. Yep. And and uh for you guys, if you do like what you're hearing, um if you could please give us a uh, yeah, subscribe to the show. However you can on whatever platform you're listening to us on. It really helps out our show. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Leaving a rating or review really yeah. goes a long way in helping uh, spread this, this yeah. show out to new listeners. Yeah. Five-star uh, reviews, baby. Five-star reviews. And, and um, yeah, that goes a long way. And, you know, we do a lot of uh, Q&As. If you go back and yes. look at all the other episodes, we do a lot of Q&A stuff. We love it when people contact us. And uh, a couple different ways you can do that. Through the website, we have a contact button if you go to thenorthernhunter.com. And uh, you can also reach out to our socials if you search at the Northern Hunter yep. on any of the meta social or meta social media platforms. You'll find us. Um, but as a beginner topic for today, yeah. um, we were going to kind of cover an email we got. Uh, this is actually like the second or third one uh, mm. he sent in, uh, which is awesome. And don't was this we a, we appreciate when people you yeah. know, write in, especially yeah. if they they have more questions. Always feel free to write yep. in again. Yeah, uh, we will never never think you're <laughs> for trying to reach out for it yeah. to us. That's the whole reason we're here. So, yeah. Um, but Stephen wrote into the show, um, and he had some questions about loading hammer bullets. Now Stephen's written in a couple times, um, since basically before we did that first episode about reloading, mm-hmm. and showed a lot of interest in what equipment he needed and things like that. And yeah. Um, so we've been kind of going back and forth. I think Mo, you've responded to him mm-hmm. once or twice. Probably. Um, but he wrote in asking about 
bullet weights. Yeah. Um, is light and faster better or heavier and slower? Mm-hmm. Um, in his particular case, he's hunting whitetails within 250 yards and asked a very specific question. Um, I sent him my answer, uh, which, by the way, Stephen, if you're listening to this, um, <laughs> I got to say, I wrote that response on a desktop and it did not look nearly as intimidating as it did when I saw it again on mobile. <laughs> <laughs> Different thing, you got a big screen, right? Yeah, it was like one or two paragraphs, you know, just a little thing and yeah, then not, yeah. not too bad, you know, two lines each and then, you know, some, some data that I'd worked up and whatnot. <laughs> I looked at it on mobile and I was like, my goodness. Yeah, yeah. I did not mean to write you a book and I apologize, but hopefully it answered your question. Um, but we decided it was a good enough topic. We've touched on this in passing in, mm-hmm. in previous episodes, but I figured we would touch on it a little bit more. Yeah. Um, so the, the topic of lighter and faster bullets versus heavier and slower bullets is mm-hmm. something that I feel has been tossed around a lot mm-hmm. over the generations, even from cartridge development, yeah. rifle development, it, and things like that. It swings back and forth. Yeah. You look at twist rates in rifles and how they've mm-hmm. evolved from being optimized for lighter bullets mm-hmm. to now getting tighter twist rates optimized for heavier bullets. That's kind of the way the trend's going. Um, and a lot of that has to do with the development of modern bullets. Yeah. Um, but among modern bullets is Hammer Bullets, mm-hmm. one of our sponsors. Um, and for anybody listening, if you would like to try your hand at reloading some hammer bullets, uh, if you use the discount code, the Northern Hunter at checkout, you'll actually get 10% off your order. Mm-hmm. So if you want to save a little bit of coin, trying yeah. to reload some hammer bullets, they're phenomenal. We recommend them and uh, it's a great way to do it. But yeah. very easy to load for. Mm-hmm. Very, very easy to load very, for. Very, very easy. Very, uh, they're, the only difficult part is that there's not direct data for hammer bullets. There's a lot of good resources for hammer bullets. Um, they have their hammer time forum on their website. There's a lot of uh, people talking on other forums about how to reload yeah. uh, for hammers um, and how to cross and cross compare. We yeah. even talked a lot about mm-hmm. that, um, how to look at other reloading right. data and compare yeah. it. So if you go yeah. back and listen to our reloading episode, yeah. um, we did break that down. Yeah. But um, hammer bullets... Really, I mean the the thing. One of the things that's amazing about them is just they seem to be accurate almost no matter what. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's very easy to just use Sammy spec overall length and mm-hmm. just load an appropriate, you know, probably middle of the road load for your starting one, it, it, as long as you're not using an absolute hammer. Mm-hmm. So like their yeah. uh, their shock hammers and their hammer hunters, you can usually start with with conventional load data for other mono metal bullets like mm-hmm. the Barnes or the Hornady uh, GMX now the CX. And, and so if you use any reloading manual, it's, say for instance you have a load that uses from 42 on the low end for grains of powder up to 47 grains. Mm-hmm. You start middle of the road, you know, 44 and a half or 45 grains and shoot there and then see what your velocity is and then just work up from there. Yep. That's usually pretty safe for less experienced. I would start a little bit lower, uh, but it, it, it's usually pretty safe to just go Sammy spec overall length, start middle of the road and just shoot from there. And it, it you are hard pressed as long as you do mm-hmm. your job and, and maintain mm-hmm. consistency with your reloading it's very easy to get good accuracy right off the bat. Yeah. Right. That's, that's been the number one thing yeah. about them really. And, and it's, it's kind of funny cause they, I've noticed they were, I think they had like a open comment section or something like that on their forum about that. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. From what I've seen, it's, it's almost to the point you can pick your velocity. Yeah. yeah. Very to exactly what you want to be as long as you don't, you know, overpressure. Mm-hmm. Right. 
Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and so basically the answer I gave Stephen in, in my response to his email here was with with hammer bullets, you know, the greatest thing about them is they give you all the data. Or not the greatest thing about them, but one of the greatest things about the developers of hammer bullets is they give you a lot of the data you need to toy around before you start yeah. really wasting um, precious resources on yeah. experimentation. Yeah. yeah, You know, you go to their website and every single bullet that's listed there has its length. It has, you know, it's, it's G7 BC. Mm-hmm. It has everything you could want right there on one page. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no searching around. There's mm-hmm. no going to other websites and other sources trying to find information about. Yeah. Um, and so part of that with his question, you know, was find the one that's set up for your rifle. Yeah. You know, in, in his instance, um, and we'll get a little bit more into the heavy, heavy versus light here in a second. In his instance, he was talking about two bullets that were very close in weight. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the first thing we'll touch on is, I believe he was looking at a 218 grain versus a 225 grain. That's really not going to make a huge difference. Yeah. on on your retained weight and your your muzzle velocities and things like that yeah um you're really going to see those differences come through at about 20 grains when you're looking at the difference between a 180 grain bullet let's say for 30 caliber right a mm-hmm. 180 grain to a 200 grain or yeah. a 200 grain to a 220 grain you're going to start seeing those differences come mm-hmm. out a lot more uh but you know if you're only doing five grains different uh less than 10 grains different you will see some changes in trajectory a little bit some changes in speed but it's not going to be drastic enough to really make a decision based on the weight alone mm-hmm. you want to look at you know the length of the bullet how is it set up for your twist rate and your rifle which one's going to shoot more accurately and things like that um and as performance on game goes my advice to him was that with a lot of the modern bullets um, in, in my opinion, including hammers, um, I prefer heavier and slower. Mm. Now, <laughs> I even put that in the, in the email here, <clears throat> within reason, you know, because there is a within reason, obviously, mm-hmm. for whatever you're trying to hunt. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that has to do with retained weight after expansion, or in hammer's case, you know, the shedding of the front pedals. You get more retained weight with a heavier bullet, which is going to penetrate deeper because it's going to have more momentum behind the bullet withheld. You're also going to typically create less meat damage mm-hmm. because of the, the lower velocity doesn't mm-hmm. ripple effect quite as much yeah. around the impact point. Right. Yep. Um, and I, I gave him an example of you, you know, keeping your muzzle velocity around or below 3,000 feet per second is what I would say is, is a good like middle ground. That's where you're going to, be able to reach out and touch some things, but if you do hit something up close, you're not likely to destroy everything, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I figured in, in the spirit of bringing this, you know, to the public, right. we yeah. like talking about emails we get mm-hmm. so that everybody can hear the answer. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think? Well, so th- th- just before we get off into, into our opinions, uh, if you do go to hammerbullets.com, you can go to their load data section and they have a bunch of different cartridges listed there. You can find some load data. And yes. Steve at Hammer does try to keep up with more load data as they shoot and test and as customers mm-hmm. give them feedback of honest field results that they can trust and verify. 
for for some load data to have on their website. So if you go to the load data section on hammerbullets.com, there is some there. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you if you're looking for those more niche cartridges, there's probably not going to be very much, if any, there. Some of these rounds, there is no load data listed for it yet. Yeah. Uh, if if you click on any given cartridge, uh, let's just say for 300 short Magnum, um, there there's um, let's see one oh, two. I didn't know they had this part of the website here yet. Yeah, this is new. For there's six or seven different uh, different Excel spreadsheets. It looks like um, for uh, for load data there. So mm. that is a tool that that if you can find uh, a cartridge with load data on there, that's great. If you can't, then you can also just reach out to them on the phone or via yeah. email and ask them for load data. Well, and, and see if they have any that just that they just haven't um, published yet, right? Which is you know probably the case. Uh, Steve there is is really helpful. I've I've spoken with Steve the most there, uh, and he's always very helpful, mm-hmm. uh, even with cartridges that that don't have any published data yet. Chances are he knows something about it and someone that's shot it, and he can at least give you a ballpark mm-hmm. and yeah. a powder and, and kind of a starting point to go from. So. But that, that's just for folks that... Uh, well, and in the, the Hammer Time forum, too, mm-hmm. um, if you go yes, into that yes. forum, yep. they have several different sections there for sharing reload data. Yes. And so that's not a book. That's, that's not a Sammy spec book, Completely right? unofficial. That, that yeah. has, you know, start right. points and end points and right. whatnot. But you can go into their forum, hit the little search tab and search for your cartridge. And yes. maybe somebody's uploaded mm-hmm. yeah. some load data that worked for them. Obviously, right. be careful with that. Yep. But, you know, it's, it's, yep. an, it's a resource yeah so. start light work up be safe exactly uh so anyway uh, i i kind of had a little bit uh of of, of something to say there about specifically that that uh, that listener so he was talking about uh, and, and correct me if i'm wrong six five yes was he shooting creedmoor or prc Creedmore. okay Creedmore. Creedmore. yeah yep and, and so for his particular use case situation I, I i did go through and read your email response to that and and for all intents and purposes uh, the the two bullet weights that he was asking about, it, it's really kind of a moot point. Right. Either one is going to perform pretty much close to the other. It, it's not enough of a weight difference to make any to make any difference on terminal performance at those ranges and on those animals. The difference that you're going to see with bullet weight, it, it, it number one is at greater distances, there's greater variation, and the more drastic the difference in weight is where you get your velocity change. Obviously, that, that mm-hmm. probably goes unsaid. Um, with hammer bullets, I feel that average weight or possibly even a little bit lighter than average weight lends better performance on game mm. just because of how they're designed to expand in the animal. Faster you push a hammer, mm-hmm. the more dramatic of a result you're going to see. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. uh, in, in, in reference to our recent deer hunting trip to Southeast right? Uh, with Mariah's 300 short mag. He's shooting a 168 grain HHT hammer bullet mm-hmm. at 3150. 31 plus, depending on temperature. Yeah, yeah. And so for that, you know, the 300 short mag is, is easily capable of shooting 180s and 200 grain bullets. Yeah. 180 is probably the middle of the road for most conventional 30 calibers, mm-hmm. whether it's the OT-6 or the 300 wind mag. You know, 
pick your caliber. Mm. And, and, and 30 cal, 180 has been the staple bullet weight for a long, long time. It has. Especially for out west and up here in Alaska. For deer hunting, you're probably going to see a lot more of the 150s and the 165s. Yeah. But for Western big game hunting and Alaska, 180s and even a little bit higher is more of your average, but with 180s being the middle of the road. Mm -hmm. But the hammers, because they are designed to enter and then immediately shed those pedals. Yeah. That process of um, extremely fast expansion, which then shears off the pedals and then drives that flat-nosed shank deeper into the animal, sending the pedals off in their own directions, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that process is uh, best suited for high velocity. The higher velocity, the better result, and and the more consistent result you're going to get. When you get a hammer bullet that slows down a lot more at at greater distances, you're going to have more of a performance that will be closer to what you'd see on like a Barnes bullet. If you shoot a hammer a little bit slower than you're supposed to out on extreme ranges, those pedals aren't going to come off. Are you talking like below 1,800 feet per second? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Below minimum performance um, Mm -hmm. requirements, Mm -hmm. we'll say it that way, they're not going to shed those pedals. No. So, Have you seen what they look like when they do that? Yes. Yeah, there was a guy that was testing them. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, they mushroom just like. Yep. Yeah. The, yeah. And, and so the, the, I've also seen some people that say, well, that means you can shoot them below advertised <laughs> I know. minimum <laughs> velocity because then you're just shooting the barns at extreme range. <laughs> exactly. Which, uh, I mean, yes <laughs> I and no, some... but by the time it gets to be that velocity, there's not really enough juice behind it to drive it deep enough necessarily unless you're shooting thin skin game. Well, I would say that depends on two things. One would be um, what you're shooting it with. Yeah. You know, because if you're shooting a bigger bullet, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. you're still going to have some oomph behind that even if you're below 1,800 feet per second. Yes. Not that I'm recommending shooting these below right. 1,800 feet per second. That's not what we're trying to, to say. Stick to the recommended. This right. is all theory right here. Um. But the other thing is, you know, uh, weight retention too. Yeah. You know, the more weight retention you can get, um, the more it's going to basically hold the hold when you, once you're inside the animal. Yes. So the, the which okay. again, would come down to what you're shooting it with. Right. right? Like, exactly. Like it's going to be exactly. very different if you're shooting exactly. a, a 308 versus a 22 or, right. you know, a, a right. 375 versus a 270. Right. Let's give this example. Last year, I, I, I shot that 338 RPM mm-hmm. for yeah. a, a lot of different hunts. And I opted to go with a 205 grain bullet from yeah. Hammer, that, yep. that shock hammer. What, I, I think it was called a power hammer. I, I heard that they were going to rebrand all those to the shock hammers. I, I, either way, when I got them, they were power hammers. At any rate, 205 grain bullet. Mm-hmm. Out of a 338, normally your average bullet weight is 225. Right. Yeah. The heavies being 250s and the lights being 180s, mm-hmm. which are very few <laughs> and far between. Yeah. Barnes makes a 185 TTSX. Hornady makes a 180 grain CX. It used mm-hmm. to be the GMX. And you could buy those from, from factory offerings from Hornady, but uh, the Barnes were hand load only for the 185s. Mm-hmm. So whether be loads the 185 TTSX and then a variety of 225 grain bullets. The 225s being like the happy medium. Yeah. You have velocity of around 2,700 feet per second, 
very similar to like a 338 mm-hmm. Win Mag, a, a very traditional round that we're all familiar with. I opted to go with a 205 mm-hmm. because of two reasons. Number one was bullet performance. Steve and I talked a lot on the phone when I was getting that rifle. And I asked him, I said, so for brown bears, moose, potentially some deer, mm-hmm. uh, th- there are going to be a variety of animals that I want to shoot with this gun. And I'd like to just have one load that I can just load up and shoot this bullet all year. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, same hand load. I don't have to mess with it. And I, I was thinking of being somewhere in that 220 grain range. Well, this is where the second part of it comes in for my choice. Barrel length. I've got an 18-inch barrel mm-hmm. on my 338 RPM. Had I had a 24-inch barrel, I would have been able to get those 225s up to around that 2,700, well, 28 plus probably. Yeah, um, probably. Yeah. But, but anyway, so. With, yeah. Yeah. With I, a little bit of pep in their stuff. Right, yeah. right. <laughs> it, exactly. It, it's a Weatherby, and I can probably push it a little bit, you know, possibly a, a little bit above average. But without going off on that whole topic, I opted to go with the 205s on Steve's recommendation because I could jack the velocity way up, mm-hmm. which then gives you better terminal performance. Yes. Yeah. While I could shoot 225 grain hammers out of that 18-inch barrel, my average velocity with the Nosler Acubon factory loads, with being 225 mm. grain weight, was 2690. Mm. Now, out is, of the 18-inch barrel? Yeah. Okay. It, yeah. Is that enough to do plenty of damage on an animal and kill it? Absolutely. But that's a different bullet. That yeah. bullet is not designed to do the same thing. That bullet does not require extreme velocity to perform. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, the Nosler Acubon is only guaranteed at the 3,200 feet per second. That's a fact. If you push it past 3,200 feet per second, that thing is going to come apart. Turns into an Acubomb. <laughs> I, I like that. <laughs> that that's, that's very good. So uh, opting for the 205 would give me uh, increased velocity, and which would translate into increased terminal performance. Yeah. Right? Which is one great thing about hammers is there's no top end. It, like, it, th- that's, <laughs> no. that's where I'm getting with this yeah. whole thing. There's a reason why Weatherby and Hammer are the perfect match mm-hmm. to load bullets for Weatherby cartridges. Because Weatherby has always been built around speed. Now, their last two latest cartridge releases with the 6.5 RPM and the 3.38 RPM are more of the way that the, that the ballistics world is going right now, which is slightly more moderate velocities, still magnum performance, mm-hmm. still above average velocities for what they are, but in a more efficient case, a little bit less powder, a little bit less of a fire breather compared to in years past, like the 338, 378, or the 3378, yeah. or the 65300. Yeah, the, those the are me- mega overbores. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. A lot of overbore. Uh, shorter barrel life, and mm-hmm. and just honestly, probably too much for what your average Joe is going to do, which is where I'm getting with my perspective of this. I'm not generally going to shoot past 400 yards. Right. 400 is where I would like to be at a minimum. Mm-hmm. In, the, in an extreme case, in, in a very few very small number of situations, I would shoot five, 600 yards. Yeah. That's a very small percentage of what I'd be comfortable doing. And only if I'd ever shot that gun and that load at that distance on steel to verify the performance and my dope ahead of time. So 
from my perspective, 400 yards and under with hammer bullets, I would prefer to be at either average weight class or under that. Yeah. So that I can have a little higher velocity, a little more magnum velocity, if you will, Mm -hmm. which is then going to give better terminal performance. Yeah. In my mind, if you have somebody that wants to shoot long, long range with hammer bullets, then yes, you have to shoot a little bit heavier bullet because Mm -hmm. otherwise it won't have the juice to get that far and still have enough velocity to perform, period. But if you're the guy like me that, that only wants to shoot out to four or 450 yards, then going lighter for better terminal performance overall is going to benefit you. Yeah. In my opinion, that, that that's uh, that's just where I stand on it. That that's mm-hmm. what I've shot out of that three thirty eight, and I I've oh boy, I, I've shot uh, black tailed deer, black bears, brown bears, yeah. and moose with it last year, mm-hmm. and it worked great. Yeah, I, I I never felt like that bullet was too light for the job. Well, for how it was designed, and arguably speaking, there there's a a point in weight where enough is enough. Yeah, right. Yep. Um, and 205 grains is well above that. Yeah. So e- even though it's a light for caliber, right, it is still plenty of weight yeah. to, to penetrate an animal, get through the vitals, you know, get through everything it needs to get through in order to create that, you know, uh, permanent wound channel yeah. Yeah. of a depth that's going to be significant. Yeah. Um, and and I, I, I agree with what you're saying with the average weight class yeah. typically being adequate at that yeah. and, and arguably a better middle ground for for what it is i'm yeah. not saying everybody should go out and shoot a 300 grain bullet by any stretch of the imagination yeah um that's <laughs> way more than you need in most cases right yeah. um now if you're shooting coasties then maybe yeah. you know you'd want to coastal brown bears coasties, <laughs> coasties is a slang term for the coast guard that, that's not, that's not what we're talking really? about. oh yeah, yeah oh i didn't know that oh yeah yeah coasties is a nickname for the coast guard that's don't shoot <laughs> there are friends that's, that's not what we're talking about <laughs> no coastal they, brown bears. yeah coastal that, that, yeah yeah say that that uh, that coast guard thing might kind of link back up in the next part of the podcast Oh, maybe yeah, with safety. Yeah, 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 yeah. possibly, possibly yeah. a little foreshadowing Night, there. Yeah, yeah. nice yeah. foreshadowing, Mariah. Um, <laughs> thank you. Thank so, you very much. So, so on that, then but, I, I, I think I've said enough on that. But I think you have. Well, I, I was going to finish up saying, uh, <laughs> in his case, kidding. I was going to say, 118 grains is very light for a six-five Creedmoor. Yeah. Um, you know that cartridge was designed for the heavier bullets yeah um and actually i even sent him the data for the 139 shock hammer yeah which is the heaviest version that that hammer offers right now in 6.5 in 6.5 okay um and which is actually smaller than what that bullet was originally released with Mm. um and even that i mean you know the thing is i mean when you look at what it's intended to do yeah. Right. That's where this all comes into mm-hmm. is are you ever going to be shooting long range? Yeah. If the answer is no, you're probably fine with a, a like you said, a lighter bullet that's going to hit a little bit harder at yep. closer ranges. Yeah. Um, because you're going to get less drop at that point too. Your yeah. your point blank range is going to be close yeah. or it's going to be extended a little yeah. bit more. You're not going to have to worry about any kind of adjustments. Yeah. Uh, in, Are- or very minimal yeah. adjustments, I yeah. should say. You're not going to have to dial nearly as much. Yeah. If, if, if you're shooting 400 yards and under. Right, right. Yeah. 
I I I think, and I I didn't verify this, but I I think that the lightest six five Creedmoor factory offering might be that one twenty grain Barnes TTSX load. That might be one of the lowest weights really? that that you can get for a factory six five oh. Creedmoor load. I'm sure there's guys pushing real light bullets really fast. I mean, sure, mm-hmm. sure, everybody does it, yeah, because they can, just right? like everybody does. Yeah. yeah, I also wanted to point out too what you were talking about with the the weight and and momentum carrying out yes. to long ranges. Yeah. That is also case by case. Mm-hmm. You have mm-hmm. to look at your cartridge, your bullet, yeah. your speed. Yeah. Um, because just even, I'll just reference the, the data I'd sent him um, regarding the 118 grain HHTs is what he was looking at, the 125 grain HHTs versus the 139 grain shock hammers, right? Mm-hmm. Now, obviously the shock hammers are a, not a, a long range designed bullet. Their BCs are lower. Yeah. Um, but the difference was almost 200 yards as far as when they hit terminal velocity. Oh, really? Or uh, breached below. Yeah. So, and that's with, I mean, the HHTs can hit 1,700 feet per second yeah. and expand properly. So, yeah. I mean, that does give it a little bit of benefit there. But, you know, even at 250 yards, um, the difference was only 120 feet per second between the two. Right. 100, 150 on one of them. Mm-hmm. Nothing a white-tailed deer is going to notice. Right, exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> really, any any three of these will, yeah. will, will yeah. do fine on a deer yeah. at 250 yards. So. Absolutely. So my perspective on this comes a lot from my 300 short mag, which is a pretty standard, I mean, 308 all-around caliber, right? Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, and I have a 30-30 that I, I shoot the 120-grain lever hammers with mm-hmm. um, that I've got up to around 3,800 feet per second. 3,800 feet per second? No, no, I realize I messed that up since I said it. 2,800 feet per second. <laughs> I was going to say, holy I'll tell you smokes. what mixed me up on that was I was looking at the um, hammer's load data on here for the uh, 300 Wisdom mm. Winchester Short Mag, and they actually show the 120 lever hammer at about 3,750. Somebody shot that? Uh, it looks like they've loaded. They've got um, like seven different powders for here for it. No Different kidding. load information. What? Oh, yeah. Start and... Whoa. Uh, m- Maxville, yeah. That is a smoking round. Yeah. Noise. <laughs> now, what... That is cool. Now, hammers are going to be very subject to the way that... I mean, any bullet is. Mm. But the way the bullet's designed... So, uh, the reason I shoot the 168 HHT for my Wisdom is because I have a Tika, and a little bit older Tika with a 1 and 11 twist. Yeah. Yep. Hammer actually has a 163 HHT, but I believe has a little better BC, but it, it has to be a 1... In ten and a half or yeah. faster or something like that. It's a little bit longer. Or one in ten. Yeah, yeah, it's actually so it can actually move a little faster than I think the one sixty eight can. They advertise it up to thirty two fifty depending on your powder. Nice, which wow. is fast. They also show. They also say that the one eighty two HHT and a one ten one in ten or faster can reach thirty two. Wow, which is for a hundred and eighty grain bullet out of a yeah. three hundred. Yeah. Which is really, really, so I, I really like the, you know, the 300 Wisdom as a kind of a medium. Mm-hmm. It's a faster, but still in that medium mm-hmm. 30 caliber range. So, you know, you could take, you really actually have to get up there and wait to slow down. Oh, yeah. They've got a 214, they say you should still get 3,000 at. Wow. Um, That's incredible. That's screaming. Which, and actually, I'm faster on my 3030 than their fastest load on with the 120. Lever hammer, although oh, really? I'm using a different powder than they have listed, which is probably why. Yeah. Um. Anyhow, all that being said, the uh, looking at this, like I could still stay very fast 
the heavy bullet if my twist rate allowed it. Mm-hmm. So right. obviously, like you mentioned, James, your twist rate has a lot to do with your bullet selection. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. But one thing that's good, especially if you have a more modern cartridge, which Wisdom is a newer cartridge, but not as new as a lot of these newer ones developed for, you know, heavier bullets. Yeah. If you can shoot the heavier bullets to get range, you know, if you just want to have one load for everything, for when you're at the gun range shooting for fun, banging steel, and when you're deer hunting, mm-hmm. that's kind of what my load is. Yeah. That's usually what I shoot for too. It's, yeah. it, it, it's, it's that middle ground load. It's got the best performance overall for hunting yep. and for long range shooting. It, it, it's going to be, you know, if uh, North Korea invaded tomorrow, <laughs> I, I'd, I'd be set up, right? <laughs> yeah. With that round. Now, if I was loaded with two 14s, I would not be able to dial anywhere near as far. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. I'd be a lot of Kentucky windage on. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean. But hey, you know, it, it's, it's not as big of a risk when it's not a game animal, right? <laughs> <laughs> Just keep sending them. Anyhow. So th- there's a lot of things to think about with velocities. You know, there's a good friend of ours we've had on this podcast a few times he's, who likes to say, the, I'm a numbers guy. Yeah. And I'm not a numbers guy in the same way that he is, but when it comes to this data, mm-hmm. I consume it like, like, like crazy. Whenever I'm interested in a bullet or a load or yeah. I find out about another product or powder, I just, I've mentioned that I own a lot of reloading manuals. And whenever I'm thinking about a cartridge or I have Seven interest, to date? Eight. Eight. <laughs> nice. Um, I, I, uh, I, and, and there will be more. Um, they're expensive. So, you know, I kind of got it slow. So, yeah. I bought a whole bunch at once, but yeah. Anyway, don't tell my wife. Uh, <laughs> Too late. Anyway, so I'll, I'll, I'll just, just nerd out on mm-hmm. that cartridge at least for a few hours, right? Yeah. If not a few days. Just looking everything I can every I'll think about and be like I'm looking up different kinds of bullets, what people are doing with it. Um, if there's something I'm really, really interested in, I'll just consistently as I think about stuff, look it up, looking at velocities and just kind of some kind of logging data in averages in my head yeah. mm-hmm. for what I'll be able to do with something when yeah. I'm ready to yeah. to use it. And you know, the biggest and the biggest thing is looking at something like my my short mag is if I wanted to shoot a heavier, say shock hammer. Mm-hmm. For one, my twist rate is a little little slow for that. Mm-hmm. But if I did want to shoot a Chevy, heavier shock hammer, you know, for that max two hundred yards, absolute, you know, because I'm shooting, you know, and even though it's a little unstable, that's not that big of a deal at a close range, right? Right. But I can still get a lot of speed out of it. A- a- anyway, this is what what I want to come down to is at high speeds, there's a high probability of doing a lot more meat damage, even with a hammer. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Hammers will perform the way they're designed down to 1,800 feet per second. HHT is down to 1,700. Yeah. Granted, a hammer is designed to do a mass maximum amount of kill power at high speeds. Yes. Yep. That doe I shot at 120 yards or whatever I thought mm-hmm. it was. Yeah. I, sh- I got shot at. Yeah. She didn't twitch. Yeah. Mm. I mean, it was just down, down as fast as, I mean, I saw hair and feet. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I love when that's the case. I know. Yeah, it was a great feeling, right? Because <laughs> yeah. you run up, you're, you're, you know, in that kind of a situation, you run up on the beach, you're on the tripod, boom, mm-hmm. animals down, like ain't going nowhere. Yeah. And didn't uh, go twenty. Exactly. <laughs> Especially, you know, both both hunts this year and last year. Before I got to shoot, I got I watched people miss animals. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. And uh, <laughs> and so you know, it's a great feeling when it's your turn to shoot and you don't miss. Yeah. <laughs> Par for the course, but. <laughs> Anyhow, I, I feel like I kind of went in circles there, but, you know, your speed, 
while I am glad I killed the doe the way I did it, it worked out great. Mm. I am looking for a smaller caliber. That's probably not, I'm not probably not going to load to max speed or load a bullet at max speed yeah. for that kind of a hunt. Because honestly, as much as I think, oh, well, we could have that four or 500 yard shot. And if it's close to the last day, like, well, I'm going to take that shot because I, I mm. want that deer. Yeah. Or it may just be the only opportunity. And for all I know, it's the only deer I'm going to see. Right. Then I'm going to take the shot. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's true. But even a slower bullet and a smaller caliber can do four or 500 yards. Most, oh, most of the time. Most no of problem. the time. Yep. And hitting a little slower at 100 yards or 65 yards or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Yeah. It's, you're just going to, there's going to be that much less chance of, because, you know, you, your heart's pounding, you run up on the beach, you're standing, you take a tripod shot. Sure, you should hit really close to where you're aiming. Yeah. But it can be a lot harder than you think oh, to, yeah. uh, to make that shot and execute well, that shot the way you plan on it. And to that point, um, when I was running the data for this 125 HHT, it's capable out to 650 yards. And that's with average speeds. That's not yeah. cranking anything up. Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. out to um, um, 800 on my 168 HHT. Even the 139 grain shock hammer was capable out to 475 yards. Wow. So you're not really... with. <laughs> right. You're not limited. Right. Like, well, and my biggest thing is I don't... If I'd shot that deer... You know, I shot a little further back than where I was aiming at what she was quartering towards. Um, and I think she took a step forward as I shot and all those kinds of things equate into those, mm-hmm. th- that kind of a thing. But I, um, if I had somehow shifted or shot a little further forward instead of a little far back, I wouldn't have had front shoulders. Right, right. I would have had some mm. shanks. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like on the front of that deer. Yeah. <clears throat> any, any, almost any size deer. Yeah. That that would have been the case with the way that thing just, especially once I hit bone. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, I shot a deer last year with a Barnes um, quartering away through the chest cavity between the shoulders. Mm-hmm. Didn't destroy any meat. Right. Right. Didn't destroy the heart. A piece of that hammer bullet went over top of the heart on this one and I had to cut it off. It was like, <laughs> it, it took out a piece of the lungs and it didn't even hit anywhere near the lungs, you know, right? And I'm like. <laughs> right. I mean, hit just behind them, but you know what I mean? It, yeah. It, it, it was a... Well, and, and that's... Yeah, it's dramatic. There's a reason There's a reason we're sponsored by Hammer Bullets, and it's not, mm-hmm. it's not because we just... You know, they're the first people that signed on. It's because when we heard about them and we learned about them, like, mm-hmm. these actually are yeah. a great product. Yeah. 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 And there's a reason I shoot them as much as I can. Yep. Yeah. They yep. definitely work well. And, and, and for, for somebody learning to reload... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there's not a lot of, da- there is a lot more data now with this that they have on their website. Yeah. The biggest issue with the uh, forums is finding the right. data that you want. Right. This makes it easy easy to find. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and I mean, I'm sure they do some some combing through there and and whatnot. Oh, sure. But yeah. you know, how reputable is the stuff you find on a forum? You know. Right. Well, Steve like, had it very very managed. Yeah, I was gonna say I'm I'm sure they they do a lot of 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 combing through that information and making sure there's nothing irresponsible on there. But right. right. Um. Yeah. But yeah. No. And and I I would say that's that's you you mentioned something very an important distinction. I think to your point, Dalton, they do hammer bullets do perform and will have better, um, you know, wound cavity mm-hmm. and whatnot with yes. the higher speeds yes. due to the nature of the bullet. Yep. Shock value. Um, but they do not require those higher speeds. Like you said, Mo, they will work and they're guaranteed to work to yeah. their, their minimum velocity rating, whether yes. that's 1,800 or 1,700 mm-hmm. feet per second. 
and you can pretty much guarantee if you're above that, they're going to have the terminal performance you want. Right. So it may not blow a golf or a tennis ball size hole out the other side of your deer. Right. That's not always what you want though. Exactly. <laughs> like it, it worked out fine yeah. for me, but I mean, the bullet passed in two inches under the spine and there was a chunk missing out of the spine. Mm. That, 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 <laughs> I mean, I've seen some rough, some rough shots on animals, like with bones hit yeah. and stuff. I hadn't seen anything like yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> Just because we're on this topic right now, I'm just on the website because that's just what we do when we're talking about hammer bullets. Oh, yeah. I think I want to try out that 181 grain shock hammer. It's a recommended twist rate of one, one and 11 and a half. What grain? 181, 30 caliber shock hammer. Uh, the G1 is 429. So That's not bad. You know, yeah, mm-hmm. it, 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 it's nothing to write home about as far as ballistic coefficient. But, but it's very usable. That doesn't matter to me because it's a 400 yard yeah, and under. I would say it doesn't matter inside that. Exactly. Yeah. Inside the you know quarter mile and under, that's plenty. Mm-hmm. And for a 300 wind mag in that Tika, I can stabilize that. I can probably get it up there around that 29 and change, which is all I need. Mm-hmm. That would be, uh, I maybe have to, uh, a little winter project. Maybe there you go. Have to do some, there uh, you go. Do some load development here. <laughs> anyway. Well, and, and, and that's, that's all good, good takeaways. Honestly, if, if the, the gist of it is, you know, a little bit slower bullet will do less meat damage. Yes. Um, and the rest of it, you've just got to play around and figure out what works best for your purpose. If you're trying to reach out and touch 700 yards, you're going to want a bullet that's capable of yep. that. You're not going to want to shoot a heavy shock hammer because it's not going to reach that far. Yeah. It's going to taper out before it gets there. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're only shooting close range, maybe you can shoot a lighter bullet. Mm-hmm. Get a little bit less recoil, a mm-hmm. little bit less drop. You know, I mean, it's... But really, I would say whatever is the most accurate load for you. Yeah. You know, and that's what I pointed out mm-hmm. for him with these two yeah. differences between the 118 yeah. HHT and the 125. Yeah. Because one's rated for a one and nine twist. One's rated for a one and eight. Yeah. And that's a cool thing. Like I said, Hammer gives you all this data. It tells you what the optimal twist rate is for these yeah. bullets. So you can know before you even order them. Yeah. Um, and might I mention, you can order sample kits or sample packs of 15. 15, yeah. So you don't have to invest a ton of money into yeah. something that might not work. Yeah. And they're accurate enough. That's enough <laughs> yeah. to find a load. I've heard yeah. of guys, yeah, finding a load it, and then hunting with the last, the last yeah, few. <laughs> the, if, if you're careful about how you do it, you know, if it's your first time reloading, you should probably just order 50. Mm-hmm. And, and you know to get yeah. to get the hang of it or yeah. if you're not sure what you want to shoot have your light order 15 of each well yeah. right right you know, exactly. Like, exactly and you're not you're not even out the money you would for 50 of one so yeah. since we're like, talking about light bullets and crazy cartridges <laughs> i looked at their uh 300 rum yeah uh they they, they show the 120 and 124 data there yeah uh, you have any guesses wait what 300 rum 120 grain bullet boy so for those of you who want to reach that four thousand feet per second holy smokes 4100 with h350 um, at a a max velocity and max pressures um with the 120 or 124 hammer hunter wait which powder uh h3 h4350 wow and a 300 rum (laughs) 4100 feet per second yeah that's like twenty two two fifty velocity. That's more than that. With a, I mean, I guess if you run a grain bullet, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that isn't going to fall apart and will still perform properly terminally when you hit the target. That's Granted, amazing. your deer will be inside out. Yeah, but <laughs> it'll be skinned and cooked ready for you when you get there. <laughs> Smoking. Yeah. <laughs> I 
know, my one of the, I'm goodness, gonna have to run man. some barrel not, life is gonna be about sixty rounds. We won't that. get into oh, this if we won't get into <laughs> this that. now. Definitely but, don't want to be doing try. that, but <laughs> we won't get into this now. But I'm gonna have to run some uh, some 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 uh, ballistics data on that just to see what mm. your max range because normally one twenty grain thirty cal isn't gonna get you very far. But at but four thousand extra thousand an extra thousand feet per second doesn't that hurt. Might do a lot. <laughs> that might do a lot. <laughs> I wonder what that would do to a brown bear. Oh. I mean, I, I know a guy that might be able to find out. Yeah, I don't so. know. <laughs> I, I, Dalton I, I, buys I a 300 rum. I know. <laughs> That's not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Or, I mean, I think you know somebody that has a 300 rum. I do. So I know two guys. Might one. be able to borrow one. Definitely not. <laughs> Definitely Still not. not interested, huh? <laughs> no. No chance. <laughs> All right, let's take a break <laughs> real quick. Hammer Bullets produces what we at The Northern Hunter consider to be the most premium and best working monolithic bullets on the market today. These bullets are easy to load, extremely accurate, and best of all, they're always in stock and ready to ship. The guys at Hammer designed them so that after penetrating the hide of an animal, it sheds its petals, initiating a massive energy dump while retaining the rear shank for maximum penetration. These bullets are built with 100% focus on how they perform on game, and their proprietary designs produce great BCs with specialized pressure grooves for amazing inherent accuracy and speed. They have a minimum expansion velocity of 1,800 feet per second, which allows for long-range shots, but with no maximum velocity, making them perfect for every cartridge from your granddaddy's old 3030 to the high-velocity round like the Weatherby 3378 without having to worry about your bullet failing. To view their expansive selection and find the perfect match for your hunting needs, go to hammerbullets.com and use discount code THENORTHERNHUNTER to drop the hammer on your next adventure. All right, so the uh, the next topic is a little bit more serious, just yeah. for, uh, for this starting bit, at least. Um, I want to touch on these two stories we're about to talk about very uh, uh, carefully because they're both very recent, but um, basically both of these stories kind of got me thinking about safety mm-hmm. in the state of Alaska. You know, we talk a lot about uh, hunting, a lot about going out on adventures, uh, going out on boats, going out hiking, on wheelers, yeah. out on to faraway places on the road system. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Alaska is a big, beautiful state. There's a lot to do here. There's a lot of, uh, you know, just excitement and adventure to be had. There's mm-hmm. a lot that can go right. There's also a lot that can go wrong. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of dangers associated with it. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot of people come here and, you know, they, they do their hunt and they leave and they might you know, say, see a bunch of bears and never have a problem Mm -hmm. and go home and just have had a great experience. Um, and there's other people that, you know, get caught up in, in bad situations, things they might not have foreseen happening. And, uh, it can get real bad when that happens. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, the, the, the two things that kind of, uh, brought this into my mind is, you know, recently here in the state, um, there were, there have been several people killed. essentially just due to the elements mm-hmm. you know due to just alaska being yeah. a, being alaska exposure Ex- yeah um one of them uh here close to home you know a lot of uh, yeah uh there's a lot of people in the caribou hunting world that know of the steese highway yeah um there were recently 
two people that passed away. Um, I believe they got stuck in some snow drifts up there yeah. uh, on their way out to one of the villages. And um, so not hunting related, but in right. an area that you would end up in yep. if you were hunting. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I'm not sure the full circumstances. There's some reports and some articles and whatnot. We're not going to dive too deep into the details of these particular events. But, you know, the long and short of it is they were just making a, a standard drive yep. to a place between two places that they knew very well yep. on a road system. I'm sure they've driven several times, oh, yeah. if not yeah. dozens and dozens and dozens of times, yeah. right? They, and just this one time. Yep. Got got hung up in some bad weather. Maybe mm-hmm. didn't have all the right stuff to to be prepared, and it, unfortunately, yeah, you know they they passed away in that situation. Um, and a similar situation uh, down there in uh, for anybody around the area of Sitka, mm-hmm. uh, down in the southeast region of the state, um, there was a ship that capsized, or mm-hmm. not a ship, but a boat yeah. that capsized. Uh, it looked like it says north of Sitka ways. Yeah. Um, somewhere out there. It was up by Chichigoff Island. Yeah. And, uh, three people were rescued from that. Uh, looks like the, the coast guard got out there, but two people, uh, were unfortunately killed in that accident. Um, and just due to getting caught up in inclement, you know, bad weather. Uh, looks like it says the, the weather in the area was eight to 10 knots of wind with nine foot seas yep. and below freezing temperatures. That's yep. a bad combination. Nine stuck foot in. seas. And I, and I think that report went out to the coast guard. I, I was actually reading that on, on the way out of town uh, mm-hmm. for this last trip, but my dad and I saw that article while we were in the airport in Fairbanks, but that was, I, I, I think it was five people on board Yes, and two of them perished. Yeah. In, in the water, you know, whether it was from drowning or just hypothermia and exposure. Yeah. In those conditions, who knows? And it was, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, I, I, I should have gone back and reread this just for sake of detail, but I think the SOS call went out late. It, it, it mm. was, it was late in the day. If, yeah. It looks like I'm it was about mistaken. five, five fifteen PM is when they got the, the call. And then so five fifty PM is when they got there. Yeah. Is, is what this real this close to saying. dark, if not dark by the time they got right, there. Right, right. You know, so that that's that's a bad situation. it, it is hard to find people, survivors mm-hmm. in the water. Um, it, unless you've got some kind of a reflective, uh, you know, uh, life jacket or float coat mm-hmm. that is imperative when you're out there in those kind of conditions, you know, you, yeah. you, you don't just want a life jacket that makes you float, but you want a life jacket that has some reflectors on it so that they can find mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. a couple of those, uh, the, um, life preservers that you can get. You can also attach a little water activated light to it. Right. Yeah. Now those a lot are, of the ones they have on the airplanes, I think, do that too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they, they do. But I've I've used those before deer hunting down and down on other parts of Southeast. Mm-hmm. Uh, that uh, I don't like them for hunting because when it's pouring down rain, the lights <laughs> oh, the, the lights activate? always flash. Yeah. I can so see that. that's kind of a pain. But yeah. if you have a situation where if you're not hunting, you're just wearing a life you know a life jacket, and you're operating a boat. Mm-hmm. I, 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 when I first started hunting down that part of the state, I wore a life jacket everywhere when I was in the boat. Uh, and, and I need to make sure that I 
continue to do that. Mm-hmm. There are definitely times, you know, if you're fishing or if you're trying to glass, you know, you don't want your life jacket over the top of your binoculars. And there are a lot of people that don't wear life jackets. But man, your chances are very, very low. Yeah. If you go over the side of the boat or if your boat goes down and you don't have a life jacket mm-hmm. on your person, even if you just have it tethered like through your belt loop to where you can at least just climb into it when you go in the water, mm. like at least you've got a fighting chance. Right. But if you're not attached to it and you go in the water, you don't have a very good chance of making it out there. And it's it's amazing that the Coast Guard got there in enough time to say that they're three guys. Absolutely. That is, yeah, well, and that is great effort on their part. Mm-hmm. You know, like you pointed out with the whole, it, I don't, it doesn't say here whether they had lights on or not, but you know, I mean, humans don't really stand out very well in, no. in, in dark no. water and even no. in lit water, honestly. Yeah. I mean, you're a very small object in a very vast area. Yeah. Um, and the only thing they can really see most of the time would be your face. And that's if you're pointing directly at them. Yeah. Um, it's a very bad situation to end up in. Yeah. And, you know, again, we're not going to dive too deep into these particular examples, but just these, you know, un- unfortunate instances yeah. uh, where yeah. people lost their lives due to just being out in Alaska mm-hmm. and, and uh, yeah. it got me really thinking about you know how much people put themselves in situations without even thinking about it yeah you know where you could end up you mm-hmm. know unfortunately uh, losing your life you know you could just how many people do you think go up onto the steeps where, yeah. where these two people yeah. uh, passed yeah you know it, it's over the course of the year between the different hunts and the different things are to do up there. Thousands. Yeah. Easily. Thousands. You know, and, and, you know, especially in the wintertime, they have a, typically they have a winter hunt up there. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of people up there each winter. Um, and you know, you, you've really got to be careful and really got to pay attention before you, you put yourself in these situations, um, to give yourself the best chance of, of surviving. And, And this is not meant to be, a uh, uh, what do you call it? Paranoia, no. you know, kind of segment no. here, but you know, it is something to keep in mind. You know, there's a difference between being prepared, but expecting the best situation you're, you're going to ever encounter. You know, you might yeah. have all good weather and all success and come home with a great story. Mm-hmm. You could have the exact opposite, yeah. you know, and you've got to be ready no matter what Alaska throws at you. Yeah. So, um, you know, our, our, you know, hearts go out to the families of these individuals, yeah. um, you know, and, and we're very sorry for your loss. Um, and we're going to hopefully maybe see if we can't keep a few other people from making, you know, ending up in the, in the same yeah. situation. So mm-hmm. uh, I figured we could break this down pretty easily um, to, you know, basically the different levels of, of how you would transport around the state. Yeah. So the most common one typically is... Uh, Driving, yep. You know, yep. when you're in your truck, you know the there's a lot of access in this state on the road system. Mm-hmm. Um, but for anybody listening that's not in Alaska, uh, the highway systems in Alaska are not exactly uh, not highways. <laughs> highways, you know, they're they're two lanes, one each way most of the time, uh, unless you get down into some of the southern parts of the state. Yeah, uh, you know, they are. Towns can be very few and far between. Uh, just because you're on the road system doesn't actually mean you're near a town. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, right. You're not near civilization just because you're on pavement. Yeah. Um, yep. And honestly, several of the highways around here are not actually paved. Yeah. 
right. you're still on a backcountry dirt road that's just yeah. named a highway. Yeah. Uh, and you can end up in a lot of bad situations. So um, just a few. Uh, let's just start with, with this one, you know, really bad winter storms. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a very easy thing you can do uh, when you're just about to leave for your trip to yeah. avoid getting stuck in a really bad road system. And that is the Alaska 511 website. Yes. Um, if you go online and you look at the 511 website for Alaska, it'll give you the road conditions mm-hmm. uh, as they're known. Now, there are weather stations at various points along most highways here, mm-hmm. and they can give you updates on the road condition. They have different color codes and different things like that that can tell you. Yeah. And I've had situations where there's been a storm that came through two days ago and the road is still yeah. impassable mm-hmm. because they just haven't been able to get to it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I travel around a lot for my job. I'm driving all over the state, flying all over the state. And I've gotten stuck in my big F-350, <laughs> you know, and, and drifts and mm-hmm. just deep snow that's settling on the roads. It's really yeah. pretty easy to do. Yeah, it really is. And especially you lose that momentum, you know, and, and some even just six inches of snow on the road. If you don't have like a big truck and you can't keep that momentum going, that can really get you in a lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, and like we said, towns can be few and far between. You might be just slipping and sliding around on the road, end up in not being able to go forward anymore. Yep. And it could be 100 miles either direction to yep. a town. Yep. You know, you might not, there really is no walking out of that mm-hmm. situation. Yeah. Um, and so checking the road conditions first and foremost before you make any kind of long trek <clears throat> in this state I would say is a big one. That's something you can do immediately before you leave. So you're aware of what's happening. Um, on top of watching weather conditions, you know, if you know, if a storm's coming through, um, and just knowing the general route, you know, Mm -hmm. um, knowing the areas winds tend to to flow through at the highest points. Yeah. Uh, I got stuck and this was this April I was driving, uh, out off one of the highways. And I got stuck for 12 hours up on a flat on the top of a mountain system. And uh, I was heading out towards Minto. Mm-hmm. And there was just this crazy windstorm with this crazy snowstorm. And there were state trucks out there. Mm-hmm. And they couldn't plow it about fast enough for the, before the wind drifts would blow it right back mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. Uh, we ended up, you know, like 20 of us trucks that were all out there just tried to make up just a straight line through, you know, put the biggest truck in front, mm-hmm. going back into the smallest trucks and just plowing through. Mm-hmm. And by the time my truck would get to whatever snow drift that they went through, you couldn't see their tire tracks. Mm-hmm. I was right behind the guy, right? you know, and the wind was just blowing that hard and that heavy that it just filled in their tire tracks before I even got there. Yeah. Uh, it can get really bad here in Alaska really quick. Yeah. Um, and so just keeping an eye on that is a big thing, being aware of your surroundings. Yeah. Um, and aside from that, you know, keeping, for this situation, keeping a winter gear kit with you at all times. So, so I would say number two, the winter gear kit should be in your vehicle no matter where you're traveling. I'll just say that. Even if you're traveling between North Pole and Fairbank. Because you get stuck well, in the ditch and, yeah. you know, if it's 30, tw- yeah. 20, 30 below, which yeah. you can try to plan for the weather. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there we had days this week. And last week when it said 10 degrees and it was 20 below. <laughs> right. Last several weeks we've had days it said... 20 below and it was 10, 20 degrees. Yeah, I, I planned outdoor work during those days. But the number two thing, <laughs> full tank, having a full tank of gas 
is a huge deal. Absolutely. Uh, well, I, once again, even yeah. around town, yeah. I, I, it's it's really really easy to get in the habit. You know, I can fill up my truck once a week. I'm good. Mm-hmm. But at that end of the week, it's low usually, right? Yeah. And, yeah. Especially at today's gas prices. And uh, right, right. It, it's I mean, my truck a fill up is 120 bucks. Right. Yeah. And that's not from E. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know now. All it would take, though, it costs the same amount of money to keep it, to fill it up at half full. Right, right, right? yeah. And it's it's a hard habit to get into, mm-hmm. but it's a good habit to have. Yeah, yeah. And, well, and I can say just from the example I just spoke on, yeah. um, getting stuck up there off of, uh, out in the Ptarmigan Flats, um, mm-hmm. the, we had a full tank going out there, even though I know I can get to where I'm going yeah. with a half tank. I've done right, it in the summertime, right, 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 yeah. And we had a full tank going out there. When we were stuck out there, there were people that had to turn their vehicles off to conserve gas. Yeah. And they were having to turn them off, turn them back on to try and warm up really? again, turn them back off because they, they were out there stuck. We, were, we ended up being there for 12 hours yeah. and yeah. they had a quarter tank of gas. Yeah, that's not right? a smart idea. And I had a, there was uh, one lady, I had to jump her vehicle because she turned it off and she couldn't get it to turn back on because it was negative. 40 and blowing oh, yeah. winds. And when and you're idling a bunch, you don't necessarily charge your batteries very well. Right. And, you know, there's so, a lot that goes, there's a lot that goes, happens with vehicles in the cold. Yeah. I had a, I had a problem with my truck a few weeks back. It was like 30 below and I forgot to plug in that morning. I didn't go to, wasn't going to work that day, but I was going to go somewhere the next morning. I had forgot to plug in like I do every night before work. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got up and I was like, oh, I need, I need to, I got, I got places to be. Let me go start my truck. I went out there to start it. It didn't start. Yeah. Turned over as many times as it turns over, but at that point, it sucked so much juice at that temperature. And if that truck hadn't been plugged in, mm-hmm. I didn't get that truck started till the next day. Yeah. After messing with it all day with what I had. Now, I, I got some better battery charging stuff at my house now. Spent a yeah. bunch of money on that day with that. Got my other truck running, got the other car running. My wife's car wouldn't start either. She wasn't planning on leaving till the afternoon, mm-hmm. but even plugged in three or four hours. Oh, it can make a huge difference. It, 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 that, it really? didn't start then. Like, it just... Yeah, like 30 below or something? It, it was 30 below that morning, and it just was, it was an anomaly that very ever rarely happens to me. Yeah. Obviously, if I had brand new batteries in my truck. Right, right. I'm not going to say you have to put brand new batteries in your vehicle every year, because if you take care of everything else, you'll be fine. I've been running the same battery for three years. And but, yeah. you know, and there's batteries, you know, I've run the same batteries sometimes for five or six years. If you take care of them, yeah. they're fine. But the thing is, when they get towards that end of that age they're not going to turn your diesel truck over at 30 below and start it like they do when right. they're new. Because yeah. if you're turning your truck over at 30 below with your diesel <laughs> truck, you're going to kill your batteries. Yeah. They yeah. lose their it's life that way. a lot of battery. Yeah. Um, anyhow. Well, but and that, I would say that's especially important if, when you're, or not only having the full tank uh-huh. and making sure, to make sure you can keep your, your battery charged up while you're out there. If you're going super far out, yeah. like say you're going up for some winter caribou mm-hmm. up off the slope or something like that, um, bringing extra gas. Yeah. Bring extra sure gas is a good idea. That, keep that tank full. Right. You know? Well, and, and just having, like, if you're going to go, like I say, if you're going to go off the slope for caribou, mm. if you get, you know, if you're up past Attigan, you know, mm-hmm. great, great hunting spot there, Attigan Pass, you park at the top, you, you hunt down the cliff. <laughs> <laughs> He's just being facetious, <laughs> folks. That's not, you can't even hunt right there. Yeah. Legally, you can't hunt right there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, it sounds like we're giving spots away. So you're a funny guy, I know I am. Right. Yeah. Funny guy. <laughs> Anyhow, but you get up past Attigan. If you go very far past it all, you might just run right into um, Dead Horse and fill up. Yeah. I mean, yeah. just go all the way through. Go all the way through and fill up or head on your way back, 
stop at Coldfoot or mm-hmm. stop at Coldfoot on your way up. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot to be said just for knowing your vehicle and knowing what it can do, but well, don't push it. Yeah, I'll say that gas is going to be expensive in those places, yeah. but it's a lot cheaper than the alternative. You know, and you know, I have in one of my trucks, I have a hundred gallon tank. Mm. So when I leave town, I put 50 gallons in that. That's more than another full tank. A hundred gallon auxiliary tank in the bed. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. There's a 30 gallon tank in the, in the truck and I have that auxiliary tank. My other truck doesn't, but I have three diesel cans that I can throw in there. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that way. For one, I don't have to pay seven, eight dollars a gallon at Coldfoot. Yeah, no, right, 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 right. right, right. Now, d- d- just kind of to piggyback off of that whole, you know, having a lot of gas uh, for your vehicle when you're going way out of town. If you do end up off the road or stuck in a big drift, that is dangerous for other reasons as well. You might think, well, I've got plenty of fuel. I can wait for somebody to come along with like a plow truck or somebody else with another pickup truck that can pull me out. Because mm-hmm. you've got toe straps, or they'll have toe straps, which you should have your own. That's you know, yes, you should. That's a big that, one. That, yeah. That's part of your recovery kit, and and we'll, we'll talk about that more in a minute. But you need to be concerned about um, um, exhaust poisoning. Absolutely, and uh, that there are a lot of people that go off the road up here. It happens every winter where they go off the road and that they get stuck in a big snow berm. Maybe even it's not blowing and drifting, but you don't realize that when you tanked off the road into a six-foot ditch, your tailpipe is covered in snow now. Mm-hmm. And all of that uh, carbon monoxide is just drafting back into your truck yeah. or, or your car. Much right. easier to do with a car because that exhaust pipe is only you know right. four inches off the ground to begin with. Right. My buddy Remy had that happen. He got, uh, he got stuck on the side of the road somewhere in his Chevy three-quarter ton pickup, and the wind started blowing. He went to sleep and just waiting for somebody to come get him. He he had he had even called for help and he had somebody coming, but there was it was going to be a few hours out. Mm-hmm. So he just thought, well, I'll just you know snooze in the front seat, leave the truck running. I got plenty of fuel. I'm not worried about that. I don't want to stay warm when it's you know it's twenty you know twenty or twenty five below outside. Leave the truck running so it doesn't shut off and then I can't start it. You know that, mm-hmm. that what we just talked about there, right? But the wind picked up while I was asleep, and he said he said uh, I he said he woke up. And he felt sick. Mm-hmm. He got out of his truck and actually threw up. Yeah. And uh, he said, man, I don't know what's wrong with me. And then he said, it hit me. The wind's blowing. It wasn't blowing when I went to sleep. And he ended up going over to the back of his truck. And sure enough, I mean, it, there was snow piled up to the side of his bed. Mm. And it was totally blocked off. I mean, he was probably minutes away from not waking right. up. Oh, yeah. 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 It happens that, quick. That happens Every no. year. So, so for people who might be confused with that and say, well, exhaust is hot. It's going to melt the snow. Yes, it will. But this is what happens. It melts the snow around the exhaust. Yeah. But then when all that snow is built up around your vehicle, comes right up under your vehicle, mm-hmm. and it just gets sucked, blown right into the vents. Yeah, it, yeah. it, it will melt and create a channel. It creates a pathway up, for it to flow, right. but it's not necessarily going to be up into the air. Yeah, yeah. it's not going to be up and if, out. If the tailpipe was full of snow, it, your truck would still shut, your vehicle would shut off. Yeah. Right. But that's another thing you mentioned, you know, not starting. We've talked about that. That's actually, honestly, I think that's a much bigger deal mm-hmm. than just keeping it running for you to stay warm. Mm. Because, you know, I worked for a company several years back and I still do this sometimes driving pilot car. Yeah. The rule for that company was unless you can plug in, you don't shut your vehicle off yep. in the wintertime. Right. Period. Right. Runs the whole time. Keep it full of gas keep your cans or whatever you got, right. auxiliary fuel tank full, you do not shut it off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
because the moment you shut that thing off, and maybe you're f- completely safe, you might be in dead horse or cold foot. But yeah. you shut that thing off. And it's 40 below. And it's 40 below, and you start, and then you try to start it, and even with a jump, you kill batteries. Yeah. All of a sudden, you just cost your company thousands of dollars to get yeah. that vehicle back to Fairbanks and in a shop. Yeah. 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 And just keep it running. Just keep it running. You know, exactly. a few dollars that costs. Yeah. yeah. Right? It costs and you know the peace of mind and keeping you know that's where the gas is important just leave your vehicle running yeah yeah i I do this i because of that policy i find myself with my vehicle running even in fairbanks more often than almost anybody else i know except for the guy who was my boss during that (laughs) yeah (laughs) right well and kind of to to back to what you were talking about dalton you know how quickly that exhaust can get covered yeah uh there was a separate incident i i drive around a lot in the state uh, where I once again got stuck. And this time I wasn't on the road. I was on the side of the road, kind of like you would describe, uh, truck at an angle. Yeah. Within a matter of two hours of being stuck there, uh, the snow went from me being able to open my door and just hop out of the truck as I want to, to on the driver's side, almost being up to the bottom of the window. Wow. Burying the truck in snow with the wind drifts, with the wind drifts, and every it was blowing hard. Wow. It was coming down heavy with the snow. Mm. Uh, and I would get out probably every fifteen minutes and and clear that exhaust out because you know, and I probably maybe should have done it even more often than that because every time I got out, it was covered up. Um, and you know, every time I got out of the truck, it felt like just getting sandblasted. Yeah, you know, on on any exposed skin. Yeah, and. Uh, it was a, it was an intense thing and it, it really opened my eyes. I was young at that point. That, yeah. that was early on. And, and that, I remember you telling me about that. Yeah. yeah that yeah. opened my eyes to just how vicious the weather can be up here when, so, when you're just on an app. Yeah. Just a run of the mill drive. Yep. Yeah. You know? So, so here's something else that I just thought of. And th- th- this is something that I do even just everyday life of the vehicle up here in, in, in the wintertime. I don't trust electronics. Mm-hmm. Vehicles are, more and more and more electronic nowadays. I have known three different people that have been locked out of their truck <laughs> because they uh, they got out, you know, mm-hmm. to uh, to go to the bathroom, you know, stop on the side of the road, take a leak. Yep. And the truck is running. One of the times it was running. Hmm. Keys in the ignition. Truck is running. Got out. Closed the door behind them. Clunk. Click. Really? Whole truck locked up. No Complete system malfunction. And they were Hmm. locked out of their truck in the middle of wintertime. Now, luckily, that guy, it was warm out. Right. And somebody else was able to come along and Mm -hmm. happened to have a little recovery kit. You know, they were able to pry the door open just enough and get a wire down there and unlock it. Right. The other one, the guy was predator calling, came back to his truck, opened it up, set his keys on the seat. The truck was unlocked. All four doors were unlocked. He was, you know, taking off his uh, his camo over whites, um, took off his gaiters, set his gun in the back seat, took off his his warm hat, and uh, took off his over parka. And then he closed the back door of the truck with the keys on the front seat. The truck was not running. Well, he clicked that back door shut. Boom! Whole truck yep. locked up. And so now he's outside without a hat. And this day it was twenty five below zero. Yeah. What saved him? And he was not more than 20 minutes out of town. It's a long way to walk. What saved him was he had a cell phone in his pocket. Mm. So he was able to call 
and somebody raced out there with another truck key yeah. and was able to get into his truck. But, you know, he's standing there for like a half hour mm. waiting yeah. for the person to get walking there. Walking around, hands over the yeah. ears. Yeah. Walking around, you know, pulled his pulled his uh, his hoodie over his ears and, you know, tried to keep his head warm. And, yeah, walking around with his hands in his vest pocket because all he's got on is a hoodie and a vest and a pair of snow pants and, right. and, and bunny boots. So, you know, he was better off than most. But my habit is, and this hasn't happened to me yet, it, it definitely could. But when I get out of my truck, whether I'm in town, if the keys are in the vehicle, I do not close my door. Yeah. No chance yeah. I close my door. Even in the summertime, spring, summer, and fall, I don't close that door if my keys are in that truck. So does your truck have an auto lock function, though? I don't believe yours is new I, enough I, to have that. I don't think so. No, both of mine. Don't. No, but, but, but I'll tell you this. But, my, it, my but wife, it has electronic locks. My wife's truck doesn't have electronic locks. Um, but it's old enough. It's a 97 and the lock on the driver's door at one point like was loose. Yeah. Yeah. And so and when you, if fell. you close the door too <laughs> yeah, hard, it would shut. just fall shut yeah. and lock it. Yeah. yeah. I, I've so been locked out of her vehicle a couple of times. Best thing you can do in that situation. And this is what I do. I have two trucks. One, I have two keys for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of them's not even a chipped key. Can't start the truck and drive away. But it can open key. the door. But it can open the door. Yeah, yeah. And it can start and leave the truck running with it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that way, I can start my truck, close the door with the other key in my pocket, lock it, and walk into a store mm. and not have that thing in the back of my head that most of us have at some point in winter. Man, should I leave my truck unlocked? I only have one key. Well, I want it to be warm. Yeah. Right? Auto and most start. of the time, it's fine, but hey. <laughs> yeah. Auto start. Well, if you have well, it, yeah. yes. Yeah. And, and, and a hard key like that is, is a good idea because I'll yeah. tell you this, I keep a key fob yeah. on my keychain yeah. with me at all times because of that, just in case of that, right? If, if But what if the battery dies? That's what I'm getting to. Oh, so that's, I've had that's that. That's what I've lives had, in the back of my I've head. I've had that happen yeah. where I, got, I was out chasing caribou around for a couple hours yeah. and I came back to the truck and the battery had frozen in my key fob. Yeah. And luckily I was able to warm it up enough to get the door unlocked, but it was, I was a little worried. Yeah. It was negative yeah. 30 that day, yeah. you know? Yeah. Sec- and so for me, a second key for my second truck, I only have a single key for it now. It's something yeah. I need to get. Yeah. Yeah. Some of those older Chevys, my wife used to have a 2005 Chevy Avalanche that she mm-hmm. had as a teenager. And then she had up until we got married and shortly thereafter. And uh, that truck had, a real problem with the um what, what what's what's that system called uh the um, anti-theft yeah there's there's a name for it that i forget uh, but yeah it, it 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 would have the little orange you know vehicle and lock light mm. come on uh-huh. and uh, it, pass lock is oh. the system mm. and so every once in a while her truck would just randomly lock even while you were in it Oh, really? It, it wasn't like a drive-activated thing where you were in drive or once uh-huh. you started moving. It was just randomly just lock up. And so I, that, that really made me not trust that truck particularly. But two of the other instances that I talked about earlier with guys getting locked out of their trucks were older Chevy trucks. That pass lock system is known to fail as those trucks age. Oh, so e- e- a- even though my 05 Toyota pickup truck doesn't mm-hmm. have a pass lock system, just like those old Chevys, it still does have electronic locks. So it, it, in my mind, it's something that could possibly happen, and it's an easy enough thing. I don't need to close the door all the way if I'm just getting out of the truck to take a leak. 
or, or, or once I start the truck and put the key in it and I'm still loading the truck bed with gear, mm-hmm. I don't need to close the door. Big deal. I can just, you know, close it, but not latch it. Right. That's just something to keep in mind. And it, it might sound a little bit eclectic and well, the biggest thing a little is bit over the top when but, you're out of town. Yeah. Too, when you're not close by. Yeah. Well, and, and the other thing too, is that kind of falls along what tends to be the theme with safety yeah. and, and preparedness, which yeah. is redundancy. Yeah. yeah. You know, forward thinking and redundancy are the two yeah. things you'll see the most is, yeah. is foreseeing what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And making sure you've got multiple ways to yeah. to tackle that situation. And I'm sure there's plenty of people listening to this right now that just say, "Well, have a little mag box underneath your wheel well with a spare key." <laughs> yeah. How, how many of those do you find in parking lots <laughs> on the side of the highway? Because that, 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 that works great until you have three inches of wire, ice built up. Yeah. Wire a key to your vehicle if you're going to do that. Take yeah. a piece of bailing wire, a piece of trapping wire. Yeah. And just wire it up under yeah. there somewhere. That's what my dad don't, used don't to do. Don't trust the magnet. Yeah. Yeah. yeah because, yeah. well, unless the magnet. Those you magnets can, fall if you, off. If all you the can time. put it in a, you know, there's a, you, you know, throw it under the side of your bed in the older trucks, you could do that. Now, yeah. it was obviously, you could walk, most people's, you could walk up to the driver's slide, slide your hand under there and find a key, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. Have you done that? I, I, you I, got I, into my truck with that one time. I did. I actually know someone. Yeah. You all know this person that had a hide key on their truck mm-hmm. and a burglar found it, mm-hmm. broke into the truck. Yeah. I don't do hide keys anymore. People for work reason. for that. I don't do them either. I have a yeah. whole different system that I'm not going to talk about. <laughs> there is, there's better systems than the yeah. hide keys. There's better pl- ways to hide than the easy places to get to. Yeah. But th- so we're talking about redundancy and things. When I leave town, I don't just have a fuel tank of gas. I don't just have, you know, Warm weather gear that hopefully I don't need. Cold weather gear. Cold weather gear <laughs> to stay warm in the cold weather. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't just have bo- those things, you know, gloves, some form of gloves. Yeah. Nice Sleeping bag. De- decent hat. Yeah. You know, I carry the kind of warm cold weather gear <laughs> that not that I won't need a sleeping bag with. If um, you get stuck overnight, so, I want a sleeping bag. So I, I was going to say for what I consider to be a, a complete cold weather mm-hmm. bag. Is and this is just based off of what I I like to keep with me when I'm traveling around for work. Is I've got extra thermals in there. Yep. Um, some light puffy stuff, um, just in case you know it's maybe not that cold, and mm-hmm. I don't want to throw all the heavy gear, heavy winter gear on, but mm-hmm. I need something to cut the cut the bite. Then bibs. Yeah. And like a Carhartt coat or something like that. Something yep. big, heavy. Nice yep. winter coat, yep. right? Parka. I don't consider Carhartt have. heavy enough for for emergency cold weather. Some of them are. I've I've been with a lot of them for when it's like negative thirty, negative forty. I have that uh, that that Carhartt Montana series, which is their highest rated stuff. I just bought it, it this that's winter. A newer thing, isn't that it? Is that is really that's warm the newer stuff. one. I'm talking about like the, the, the old Carhartt black stuff that everybody always used to I've, rave about. I've had great experiences. I with have it. had not so great experiences with some of that. <laughs> you should have got it warranted, buddy. Because <laughs> mine works great. I bought it used at a garage. <laughs> to go <laughs> over other layers like Jane was talking about, it's a great shell yeah. to go over other insulated layers. The other thing is, like you said, with a sleeping bag, that's not necessarily for sleeping. No, uh, no I know. You know, if you have, let's say it is negative 60 outside, um, you throw your puffy layer on mm-hmm. with your thermals and you've got your bibs on yeah. and then you crawl into like a neg. 60 bag and neg 40 bag which you know wiggies is going to cost you a little bit but it's worth it 250 bucks i was going to say the wiggies are going to be Mm -hmm. probably your best route oh yeah 
Um, Bar none. And you can literally lay there mm-hmm. and wait for rescue. Yep. Yeah. And you're not right. going to freeze that's, to death. That's true. Yep. So a sleeping bag is a good having. option for that. I don't always carry one. I usually am wearing a gear that I'm going to be comfortable in outside already, or it's right on the seat next to me. I have that. That's just what I have because I'm in Alaska. Mm. I have to go on top of that, like, you know, a refrigerator snow machine set mm-hmm. or something like yeah. that to where I can, I can then put that on over that and I'm good to 60 Which below. they have, refrigerator makes a uh, coverall set yeah. that is actually rated to negative 50. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so if you have layers on underneath that, that'll be just as good that, as a negative that, 50. So that, that's bag. what I do. Yeah. Because that way, if I need that super cold right. gear and I can, I can still walk. But you should have basically that I don't even know what you'd call that, that outer like cocoon layer kind yeah, of yeah, like yeah, that yeah. ultra, ultra cold yeah. layer that you can put on top of everything else mm-hmm. and just build up that layering as much right. as possible. So that's what I do. Because you if know, you're exposed boots. for 12 plus hours, oh yeah, I mean, good night. I, that's, you're in trouble. I also carry extra oil, extra transmission fluid, mm-hmm. extra coolant, tools. Mm-hmm. I usually have, when I go on a road trip, especially with the truck I've driven for years now, I have a whole kit in that truck. Mm-hmm. I could just about take that truck apart on the side of the road. And it may sound extreme. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, but it's I've not. got a half inch impact. I've got a full half inch impact yeah. set. I've got three eighths sockets, three eighths ratchet. I've got what, you know, the standard uh, wrenches, screwdrivers. Mm-hmm. And it's not all the greatest tools, the nicest set of stuff. Mm. But You've been with me when we've there, had issues with stuff. There's been plenty of times that you and I have fixed stuff on the side of the and road. And I say, oh, I got tools for that. And I yeah. pull it out. Boom, it's done. Yeah. I've had, I'll carry a kit like that on my wheeler. And I think yeah. that's a pretty good transition. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Right there. Um, well, we're not quite We're not done? Yet. Okay. All right. <laughs> I, I, I didn't <laughs> well, think. we haven't even talked about recovery yet. <laughs> well, you know. Good I, um, try, though. <laughs> well, it was a try because I wasn't sure if you guys were done, but I thought I'd shoot for it. <laughs> gotta shoot your shot <laughs> right you know it would have been but, a good transition but you know just just having enough stuff to survive yeah. for any given amount of time and, and you know what yeah go along on your estimation have some candy bars have extra mm-hmm. water make sure yes. the water doesn't freeze in your truck and then you go on the road trip and now the truck's dead and you have ice <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and no water well and if you are planning on bringing any kind of extra food say you have some extra mountain house yeah. or you know peak refuels laying around yeah. and so you want to throw those in your truck yeah. for extra food bring that jet don't boil. bring the jet boil but i would recommend bringing you know some uh sterno or something yeah. like that because you don't want to rely on the fact if you go to sleep yeah and it's you're you're all decked out in your winter gear right because yeah. you're smart like that yeah and you wake up and it's still negative 40 outside and it's been negative 40 the whole time mm-hmm. and maybe that fuel's not somewhere warm yeah mm-hmm Jet boil fuel is not going to work so good at negative forty. If you're going to use butane fuel, uh, like like for a jet boil uh, type of a stove, you've got to have that butane canister in your sleeping bag or inside right. your coat to keep it warm. Right. Because if it does get too cold, then it ain't gonna it's work. Toast. Yeah, it ain't gonna work. But bringing extra food is 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 again that that should be right in there with your cold winter. Yeah, cold weather gear. Yep. Honestly, it should all. You yep. know, if you just have like a duffel. Yep. And you can just keep that in your truck at all times. Yep. Um, and then like you said, with tools and stuff, have a, a road trip kit. Um, DeWalt makes a really nice battery jumper compressor pack mm-hmm. that, uh, what's the amp rating on that? Do you uh, know? I know you have one. Yeah, I do. So the reason I ask that 
is when I had trouble starting my pickup truck at my house. I'm going to look that up right now. Um, I tried jumping it with a gas pickup with two gas vehicles, one to each battery, and it would not do it. Really? It wasn't. Which no blew my mind. That's insane. I've never thought if of that. If you drive a diesel, carry two sets of jumper cables. Yeah. I, good, I do that's that. That's a good call. Um, once I got my other truck running, which I went and bought a 2,000 amp jump kit mm-hmm. to jump that deep cold, deep cold diesel. And it, I was, I was hesitant to buy it, but it was the only, it wasn't the option I wanted, mm-hmm. but it was, it was basically the best option they had. So I got it. It was one of the smaller packs. Yeah. As long as it's above like five, five below zero, it's supposed to have the 2,000 amps, hmm. which is pretty good. Okay. But anyway, I jumped the one truck with it. 1,600 amps no is problem. the one I've got. 1,600 acts actually really good. Yeah. Now. Maybe not enough for a diesel, but yeah. yeah. It would be enough probably if it's not a completely dead battery. Right. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, the thing with that and what you got to be careful with that is you're going to have that with you. And so your truck's not running. You don't want to drain your truck's battery. You're going to want to use the light on it. You're going to want to plug your phone into it. No. And I have then, dark energy chargers well, for my phone. I'm, I know and you I do. Have a headlamp from Pete. I know, I know you do. <laughs> I have my own separate battery packs too, but it's so tempting with those things to plug your phone into. And while it has that 1600 amp jump yeah, boost capability, that's 1600 peak. That's peak amp that it's going to drain in a matter of seconds when yeah. it's drawn. Mm-hmm. Yep. You can charge your phone a few times on that and drain that complete battery. Yeah, you really can. Yeah. And for, well, I, I, I was going to say, say that from experience, just for me, that battery pack is only there to jumpstart that right. truck. You have to have that mentality. Though. Absolutely. That is only in my truck to do and that. Absolutely. If my if, phone dies, tough luck, buttercup. I don't know if that, you do that, this. That's, that's my fault for well, letting the phone you die. You are supposed to I keep, to keep those not. battery packs at full capability. You're supposed to bring them inside, warm them up and charge them at least once a month. I was, I was literally mm-hmm. just going to bring up. Yep. If you if you get one of those and yep. you throw it under the back seat and forget about it yep. in October yeah. and you need it in January, yeah. I'm sorry to tell you, it's probably not gonna, yeah. it's not going to have 1600 amps. Yeah, it ain't going to work. Um, um, and, and don't charge them when they're cold. Yeah. If you charge them when they're cold, they yep. will you'll you'll actually ruin their ability to 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 store store power. Yep. 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 Now you had mentioned something about uh, you Re- know, recovery. Yeah, recovery. Gear. Um, one other important aspect is if you can self-rescue yeah if you can be prepared to self-rescue then you're in the best situation possible right if you can hopefully not have to wait hours for your buddy to come Mm -hmm. with a truck or wait for the chance of another vehicle coming down that same bad road that you were just on or you know any of these situations where you're going to be stuck out there for a Mm -hmm. while yeah if you can try to put yourself in an advantageous spot with yeah. gear to yeah. get yourself out of that, um, that's going to be your best bet. One of those that's real easy is if you can get a set of chains for your truck. Yeah, um, get those. That's not going to be something you do necessarily after the fact. At least not very easily. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's doable. But it's doable. if you know you're getting into you know some some shoddy mm-hmm. terrain, then uh, you know. Just put them on ahead of time. Yeah. Because you'll be you'll be glad you did. Chains are a lot easier preventatively. Yes. That good preventative measure. Um the number one cat, thing you cat. need to have for recovery. I think all of us would agree. A really big spoon. <laughs> <laughs> a shovel. Yes. 
Because if you get into a ditch six feet of snow, you are going to have one grand old time mm-hmm. trying to put chains on buried up right. two eyeballs. Feet of snow. Yeah. E- oh, yeah. E- even two feet of snow, but but out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you go off the side of the steeze somewhere and you're off in 12 foot of snow in a drift or something like that. Good luck well, and, wading around through that trying to put chains and on. And here's the other thing. Even if you're not trying to put chains on, uh, that time I was stuck on in the ditch with the truck at basically you know a 30 degree angle yeah mm-hmm. sitting off yeah. To the side yeah uh, and the snow was coming in burying us yeah when our friends showed up because we didn't end up showing up at the place <laughs> we were supposed to be and right. luckily they waited for us and yeah. realized we weren't showing up and came looking for us but when they showed up and they tried to tug us out couldn't yeah because we were too buried right we right. had to undig that whole truck yep. from yeah. that ditch. I That's mean, it's, a really good way to stay warm while you're waiting. Yeah, Even it is. if you can't get yourself out, just go dig getting snow. out with a shovel and dig as much as you can. Yeah. Dig as much out from under the vehicle as you yes. can because that's the number one reason yeah. you're stuck. Not just around the tires, but get up yeah. underneath yeah. that undercarriage. Yeah, for anybody not familiar with deep, deep snow, you high center. Yes. When those, when those tires are free spinning, yeah. you're high centered. Yeah. You need to get under there and, and start chipping away at and that. And no. to be clear, Chains do you zero good when you're even in two feet of snow in a pickup truck. Mm-hmm. If if you're stuck, you can't just slap on chains and burn out of that. No, you, you can't. You got to dig out. You're a, already done. You yeah. got to dig out a lot, a lot, mm-hmm. a lot of snow. <laughs> yeah. And, and and one thing, just just as a a tip for the new people, uh, if you are spinning your tires on yeah. ice and snow, stop. Yeah. Don't, if you're don't, not, if don't you're burn out. If yeah. you're not moving forward. Now, if you're rocking, yeah. you know, by all means, rock it back and forth, you know, yeah. forward, back, forward, back. Momentum. Try to build a runway, yeah. you know, get yourself some momentum. But if you're just sitting there burning rubber, yeah. stop. And yeah. for those like, of you, so many people <laughs> dig five yeah, inch yeah. deep ruts for themselves. Yeah. But those of you that don't know, you can burn and smoke rubber on ice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Which sounds insane if you don't know it, yeah. but we've all done that. Yep. Probably all been there, even just rocking, and all of a sudden you go, oh, I better stop. Uh-huh. Well, well. Um, it's either the tires or the clutch. <laughs> or the brakes, right? Yeah. But, you know, I um, one thing with tire chains, I know a lot of people in Fairbanks who have no idea what to do with tire chains. Mm. Even people really? who say they've done them before. Now, I have the distinct advantage of having worked with truck drivers on the North Slope and throwing chains with them. I can throw chains faster than almost anybody I know, aside from truck drivers, because a lot. When you do it on a big rig, it's a piece of cake to do it on a pickup truck, (laughs) except for room, you know, to reach. But um, the biggest thing is if you, first of all, get your tire size, find a set of chains that your tire size is listed in. Mm -hmm. Don't say, so find something close. Yeah. Don't find something a little bigger. Find yeah. the right size. Yeah. You know, don't buy the tire cables. Mm-hmm. Buy yeah. chains. Yeah. yeah. They don't have to be the super duper heavy duty, especially if you're not planning on using them a whole bunch, right? Mm-hmm. Only emergency. But then if you've never put them on before, find somebody, if you can, the best situation is find somebody who knows how to put on tire chains, who's had to use them yeah. in a situation and have them show you how to do it. Right. Because they'll have learned all the wrong ways to do it. You can at least find a YouTube video, mm-hmm. read the instruction manual, yeah. but put them on in your driveway. Yeah. The absolutely. easiest way to do it is to lay them over the tires and to back over them 
and hook them up right. Mm-hmm. right? Which, which if you do preemptively, yeah, exactly. Is, you can't do that in a ditch, right? <laughs> but I had hey, you know what? Get yourself burned out in your driveway a little bit, and then put tire chains on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. a whole nother experience. Yeah, yeah. I tell you. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of times you can't get four on. You can't even get two on, but you can get that one mm-hmm. or two. Yeah, and yeah. Now, the, most of our vehicles today, they have locking systems, and you try to put one chain on. I think that's going to get you out. It's just the other tire that spins. The other tire yeah. will spin, yeah. even though it's locking, supposedly. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. If you can't, you got to get both chains The other on thing, the too, time, is now that if you look at all those Overlander rigs, you see them driving around, uh, and I say Overlander very loosely, but you see all, uh, like those Toyota 4Runners and, and some of the- um, Not a big fan uh, of those. Those Sequoias that people, you know, they kid them out for off-roading. And they've always got the flat gas tanks on the sides, and they've also got those orange boards. They're they're like a oh, traction yeah. board, mm-hmm. and so that 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 does a similar thing to like what tire chains can do. It it, it doesn't it, it it you're not going to go very far. I mean, no. it, it's it, it's a three foot long board. Mm-hmm. Most but, of the time, that's all you need. But if you're just stuck in a ditch just off the road, you might only need yeah, just like you just said, you might only need three feet to get back up right. on the road surface and, right. and be able to get traction again. So if you don't have chains, but you do have those. In most situations, just going off the road in a simple ditch mm-hmm. dive situation, you can probably back yourself out of it with those boards. But again, My yeah, experience practice with, with them with a traction style board. Yeah. Never act okay. I've never used an actual traction board design for this, but using boards or things that would have a lot of traction on them mm-hmm. in the snow, things work a lot up. different than mud. Yeah. And you can get that thing under a tire, and that tire is just going to spit that out and mm, damn it, it will. in your car. Yeah. Ask me how I know. I, I've done it with four wheeler <laughs> ramps. I, I was yeah. just going to say, <laughs> yeah. I went on a mission to recover Mariah a number of years ago, and we ended up getting your old blue truck out with those uh, with those galvanized ramps, right? Mm-hmm. Because, right. but only because those particular ones had a ninety degree metal edge on them. Yes. If you get the ones with the rounded tubes in them, yep. they do not work. Nope. But we went to get him out. And I had those in my truck, didn't yeah, I? Yeah, you had those in your truck, and I said, just put the ramps down behind it. And it worked like a charm. Yeah. I mean, it worked yep. great. Yep. There's a lot of surface area there, and it, yeah, it, it just gripped on those 90-degree, you know, metal edges, and mm-hmm. it just, I mean, it ripped it right out. It was great. Yeah. A- another simple trick is uh, if you're in, a, in that situation where you've burned out all four tires, let's say, yeah. and you just have these ruts that you're dug in. Yeah. But then you gathered your wits, you figured out, that's not going to work. And yeah. then you dig under the truck and you get yourself not high centered. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can tell that the truck should be moving because there's no snow holding the truck up. Mm-hmm. You can see all four tires from any given point underneath the vehicle, right? Yeah. You're just stuck in the ruts that you dug with your tires. Those little ice burns. A little, yeah. A uh, little bit of cat litter goes a long way. That's true. If yeah. you have uh, any kind of like cat litter or uh, uh, oil spill, a- any yeah. kind of like very not, finely not ground, preferably. not used, yes, but yeah. any kind of like finely ground, coarse material, right? Yeah. Um, then you you pour a little bit of that at the the beginning of the of your rut, and then it'll, the tires will kind of draw that into that rut, and hopefully give you a little bit of traction. Now, don't just blast a throttle, no, <laughs> and just throw it all Slow. out. Yeah, I, and I say you're talking about digging the ruts. Mm-hmm. The best snow tire with the most studs. Yeah. will spin out in a little cup of ice and yeah. your vehicle will go nowhere. 
Yeah. It is the most frustrating thing to see. Yeah. That thing's in a half inch little cup of ice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or your tires, you know, the few, the ones that are spinning are. And, you know, I've, st- I've, I've done the thing where I throw the tire chain under the tire. Mm-hmm. And what does it do? It spits the tire chain out from under the tire, <laughs> yeah. grabs yeah. it and throws yeah. it behind the truck. And you're like, what in the world? <laughs> like, yeah. Spits it right back out. It's got to be attached to it. Yeah. yeah. So all of this is really great for the wintertime. Um, most of it is still applicable to the summertime. Yeah. You know, there's a few other things to consider in sure. the summertime when you're vehicle traveling. Yeah. Um, which I think is when most people tend to Do get in trouble. Road. Yeah. Um, there, it's a little bit, you know, I, it, it's less life-threatening in the sense that you're yeah. not going to die from exposure as mm-hmm. quickly as you would in like negative 40 with, you know, howling winds and whatnot. Um, but you can still get yourself in a really bad situation yeah. being stuck out yeah. some places. Um, as we said earlier, the highways in Alaska are not always paved. Yeah. and a lot of them have rocks in them mm-hmm. that can be very sharp. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. Making sure you have maybe not just one, but multiple spare tires yeah. in your vehicle when you're yeah. heading out for a long excursion where you know you're going to be on a dirt road uh, is a big deal. We've had a lot of people email into this show about questions with the, uh, the caribou hunting opportunities up on the Hall Road. Mm-hmm. You do not drive that road with one spare tire. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. You drive that road with two spare tires. At least. At least. Yeah. <laughs> I've personally never had a flat on that road. Really? And I've driven that road probably more than both of you combined. No I haven't had one on that road. Personally, the, myself, but, but, no, I've been yeah, riding yeah. with people that have had flat tires. I, I haven't had one on that road. And, and I've been up there, uh, well, <laughs> enough. <laughs> um, <laughs> But there's another prominent gravel road in, in the mm-hmm. you know southern half of the state that I've been on a, a many number of times, and I've had one flat there. It's a good spot to have flats. Yeah, that is a nasty spot. My dad got a flat there mm-hmm. uh, hunting a number of years ago. Um, one of my good buddies that drives that a lot got a flat there last, no, two years ago. Mm. Yeah, it, it just seems like there are some years when you know dot goes through and plows uh, and smooths things out over after the spring breakup mm-hmm. and they get all that ice off but it churns up yeah. all of the nasty big sharp rocks and there's yep. a stretch of like a month before everything gets graded again where it is just flat tire mm-hmm. city yeah yeah it makes sense. I, I know Bad. i know a buddy of mine this didn't happen to me personally but a buddy of mine went on a drive yeah on not that stretch of road but yeah. a different prominent stretch of dirt road uh with and this is why i say at least two spares yeah with two spares yeah ended up using them both yeah and then popped the other two tires as well yeah. and had to get, had to call a buddy to bring him more tires my first time driving four blown tires whoa yeah my first time driving up the hall road which is many years ago now i was headed north and and this is a good this is a good thing to mention when you see somebody on a road in alaska out in the middle of nowhere and they got their hazards on pull over and check on them yep. yes that is road etiquette mm-hmm. do unto others as you would have done unto you unless they're stalking a caribou yes <laughs> <laughs> leave them be okay Start honking your okay. horn. okay you all right <laughs> if, if if you see somebody 
with their hood up <laughs> on their go. car or their truck or, or, their, the tire. or their hazard lights on, which mm. if you're going to stop for a, a problem with your vehicle or, or if you're going to stop to just take a leak and you can't get off the road, yep. number one, stop on a straight stretch and turn on your hazards. Mm-hmm. I don't care if it's the middle of the day. Turn yeah. on your hazards yeah. so people know that you're stopped. But I was headed north and I, I didn't get more than 80 miles out of town. And there was this Chevy pickup truck stopped in the other, uh, in the other lane, southbound. He had, his, he had his hazard lights on. So I pulled over, and it was pouring down rain. And as soon as I pulled up the truck, I could see his, uh, his driver's side rear tire was flat mm. and big old gash in it, in the sidewall. <laughs> and so I pulled up. He rolled his window down. I, I rolled my window down. And I said, how's it going? Not that I didn't know the answer to that question. And he said, well, you know, not so good. I'm waiting on somebody to bring me a spare tire. And I said, you don't have a spare? He goes, nope. I already went through two. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is his nope. third flat. Yep. And I said, well, where are you coming from? Wiseman. So, you know, Wiseman is way up there. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it's, up in, yeah. it's up on the south side of the Brooks. You know, another thing to do, another thing, it's good tires because a lot of guys run mm-hmm. their winter tires. Oh, yeah. On that road, they just run Blizzaks year-round or Horrible something idea. like that. Garbage. And those tires just go flat. And I think that's part of the reason. I always run a heavier-duty off-road-style well, tire. Yeah. So the reason for that is any of these winter-rated tires, if they're not studded winter-rated tires, but they're you know rubber yeah. winter tires, Yeah, it's a softer rubber compound. They're softer you rubber. Know, it, it's, they don't have as heavier. They're not 10-ply. Right, no. or eight and, ply. And, yeah, you know that. And that's designed to grip on yeah. on the ice. However, you get those things on any kind of asphalt, hard packed dirt, anything like that. It's going to start eating that rubber. Oh away. yeah, it I mean, chews it quickly. up right. Yeah, and the the the, uh, the depth of the tread on those mm-hmm. winter radials is nowhere near what you want for. Yeah. Uh, let's just call it an off roading tire, which for all intended purposes, the haul road, the Denali Highway. The road out towards um, the tote cutoff, all of that is nasty dirt roads that are that is notorious mm-hmm. for flat tires. Yeah. So having a proper summer tire mm-hmm. that uh, that has deeper tread mm-hmm. and look, I, I I'm not somebody that likes to push it on tires. If I've got a good set of tires, they're getting replaced when they get under half tread. Mm-hmm. That, that that's just how it is. I can sell them for a few hundred bucks on Facebook move them on and I just go buy a new set because I do not like flat tires. That mm-hmm. is because they, <laughs> and this is, so, this is so obvious, but you're always trying to get somewhere. Mm-hmm. So it's such a pain when you have a flat tire. <laughs> yeah. You're like, man, this is stupid. You know, this is going to ruin my I've, whole afternoon. I've the, run like the Goodyear's, mm-hmm. the Goodyear off-road tires. They've got Duratrax. several. The Duratrax. Yeah. And I've mm-hmm. run a few other similar to the Duratrax that they yeah, have. I love the Duratrax. I've never had one of those go flat. Except mm-hmm. for like when I hit a metal spike or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've never had. Um, I've had one Duratrac go flat on on from gravel. Um, yeah, I took a big rock in the sidewall. Mm-hmm. So like I've I say I've never had one go flat from anything but steel. Yeah. Or screw or something like that, right? Yeah. I've never had Toyos, any of the off road Toyo style tires. Or even the highway toils, Toyo style tires. I've had the Toyo T3 or something, and those those worked okay, but they weren't a deep enough tread or aggressive enough okay. for me. More the heavier duty, like the eight 
10 ply tires yeah, yeah. are what you really want to look for. It's mm-hmm. that it's that banding inside the tire that really makes yeah. a difference. The yeah. thickness of the rubber, the heavy duty, how heavy duty the banding is inside that rubber yeah. that just makes them tough. I've yeah. never had tires develop bulges on me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, A lot maybe. of guys do that when they run the winter tires up there because those tires just get so hot because they're so soft. Yeah. And so they'll develop yeah. those bulges. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say if you're looking for, let's say you're you're new to Alaska and you're you're wanting like a good do everything tire, those you almost can't beat those dirt tracks. No, they run amazing yeah. in the um, winter too. I was just yeah. gonna say they're they're, they're great on dirt. They're great in mud. Um, they're you know some people complain they're a little loud on the road, but like get, get over, over it. it. <laughs> it's <laughs> nice. <laughs> but um, oh, man. you know in the winter time. They're, oh, yeah. I'm not going to say they're as good as Blizzaks, but they're dang near as good as Blizzaks. They, they are like, great in the wintertime. I have run those things great. years and years. Yeah. And I mean, even on corners and stuff like that. I mean, oh, yeah. you, they're a really phenomenal year-round tire. Big fan of your I'm the opposite when it comes to swapping out tires of Dalton here. Yeah. I like to run them to the wires. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Not quite. Usually no one chance. tire might be showing wire by the time I get them swapped oh, out. From no, a, no, no, no. From a... Um, from the, you know, the in front being That's a why you're getting stuck in your driveway, man. <laughs> stuck in my driveway. Oh, see, I can't burn That's up my driveway. That's what you said earlier. <laughs> no, I was dead batteries. Oh, no. No, you said burn out in your driveway oh. and then put your chains on. <laughs> I see what you guys got are doing bald tires, man. <laughs> I see what you guys are doing there. Yeah, yeah, just picking on you. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, I have another set of tires for, for the one truck that I just haven't put on because yeah. I haven't been driving that truck. Yeah. And the truck I do and, drive has uh, Toyo Open uh, Countries uh, on Okay. It, this is which, not a... This is not a guideline for, you know, no. must-haves for driving in Alaska. Right. This is like when you're going to go way out of town on a long road trip, exactly. whether it's for hunting or fishing or snow machining, you need to have the right kind of kit. When and you're in a you situation. You need to have good tires. Yes. When you're Don't in a situation that can be out very hunting. dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Out, out of town. Yeah. That, that's the yeah. <laughs> one more comment on the, tire, on the Toyo Open Countries. They're a great summer tire. But they wear so fast. They don't wear all that fast compared nah. to, they don't wear any faster than the dirt tracks. If I anything, know. I think they wear a little slower. I, I've known a lot of guys that have those Toyo MTs now, and they burn quick on not, the asphalt. Not the, M, not the MTs, the open countries. Oh, yeah. They're the more common one you see. They're not as aggressive tread. Okay. They are terrible in the snow. Oh, really? They are not great. <laughs> They're not as bad as like a hard highway tire, like a, like a work truck tire. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But they are not good. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, they're, I've got them. And, and those I a replace a set of what, those tires is two grand. So I'm not going to. Bridgestone AT Revo 3s. Uh, yeah. I, I, I think those are Bridgestones. Yeah, I believe that, so. That's what I have on my pickup right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are great in the wintertime. They are awesome. But mm-hmm. I, they are just, they're probably 40% right now. Yeah. As soon as breakup happens, I'm buying a new set of summer tires. Well, so, I, and, and not just summer, but I'm, I'm going to get a set that I just leave on there. You know, just all terrain. So I'm not going to pretend to remember all the model names and everything like that. But mm-hmm. I, on my truck, I put a set. Uh, last winter, I put a set of Nokia's. Yeah. Okay. On yeah. my on my truck, because um, I was not wanting to spend a ton of money on new tires, but I knew yeah. I needed some. And these were studded. No, they're not studded. They're oh, okay. they're kind of like. They almost look like Duratrax, but not quite. A okay. um, little bit less tread on oh, them. Oh, that's right. That's right. Um, but one thing I was going to point out, the reason I kind of gravitated towards those was a little bit of side tread goes a long way. Yeah. Um, when you're looking at 
tires to get you out of sticky situations. Um, that little bit of tread that mm-hmm. kind of hangs over the edges mm-hmm. and can bite on the side of ruts yeah. is going to be night and day difference. Yeah. Um, and that's something I learned just, this is kind of like you said, this isn't like, you know, must haves, but it's just yeah. after years and years, decades of experience yep. driving in Alaska in this room right now. And it's something that really helps. So even yeah. if you're not necessarily going for Duratrax or you're yeah. not going for mm-hmm. Nokia's, or you're not going for Toyos or whatever, yeah. Yeah. finding something that has a little bit of side tread will go a long ways. On in, my in wife's you. pickup, we, uh, we replaced the tires on that one last spring, I think. Mm-hmm. And I, I ended up going with a different brand. I, I wasn't able to find Duratrax in that size at that time. And I, I really wanted to change the tires on that truck. And uh, the, the shop that I was buying them through had this set of Kelly. Um, and, and they are an all-terrain. Uh, they might even be in the mud terrain class, mm. but they're siped and they've got nice open tread pattern in them. Mm-hmm. And they're, it's deep tread, very deep. So yeah. you get a lot of traction in there. It's somewhere for all that mud and snow to go, mm-hmm. but it's a self-cleaning tread. Yeah, it doesn't important. it doesn't cake in there, and that's how the Duratrax are as well. It, right. it, it's a self-cleaning, and so that those I've been really impressed with it. Winter time as well, those mm-hmm. tires are great. Yeah, really, so, really impressed with those tires. So the best all-around tire I've ever had was similar to the Duratrax. Mm-hmm. They were Kanati, K-A-N-A-T-I hmm. Trail Hogs. They look like a Duratrac. They come factory siped, though, mm-hmm. which most of the Duratracs don't. The Duratracs come uh, siped. They come, they come somewhat At least siped. now they do. Yeah. yeah. I don't know about they, they, they always siped. have. I don't think they but. come as aggressively siped maybe as these ones are. Maybe that was the difference. Mm-hmm. But anyhow, these ones handled better than the Duratracs I've had mm. in the winter. And they were actually bigger than the Duratracs I had on the same truck. Yeah. And they still handled better in the winter. They cleaned out. Mud. I mean, they were the nicest tire ever I ever had. Yeah. And um, they're hard hard to find up here. Yeah. But I'm thinking about it now. Like, I should... Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, I've tried to o- order them, and there was one time Amazon was going to send them to me, and then I didn't order them, and then they said they know they weren't mm-hmm. going to. But... Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, I did, just to kind of wrap up my thoughts on it, two more things that we didn't really hit on, but that are really important. When you're going to leave town on a long road trip, communicate with somebody else. Mm. establish communication if you are going to drive all up to prudhoe bay well yeah. there's cell phone service up there now and there's cell phone service along the way in several places mm-hmm. tell somebody in town that you're yeah. leaving tell somebody uh when you expect to get there and then have uh have loose communication check-in times yeah say all right i i should be at Coldfoot in however many hours give me a two-hour buffer yeah, maybe I'm gonna pull over and take a nap, or I'm gonna pull over and have to, you know, I, I don't know, take a take a lunch break or something halfway sure. up yeah. there, whatever. Or m- maybe I'm gonna get stuck. So, so give me a little bit of a buffer for minor setbacks. Mm-hmm. But if I don't check in within this time frame, then let the troopers know, or or you know, get in touch with somebody else. Yeah. Second best thing you can have, well, really the best thing is an inreach. If you're going to be in and out of cell service mm-hmm. and you're stuck out there somewhere and you don't have cell service where you get stuck or, or you know, heaven forbid, if you get, if you get in a wreck mm-hmm. you know, or, or you hit a moose or something like that, 
have it an inreach to SOS and get some help and get the troopers dispatched out to your way can be, uh, a, a, I mean, it, 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 it can be a lifesaver. It can. It, it really can. And, and it, it might feel like, a, well, you know, I, I'm driving and you know, I'm not, it's not like I'm going out sheep hunting, <laughs> but man, there's a lot of areas in the state that yeah. don't have cell service on the road you system. You can be hundreds of miles from civilization yeah. on the road system in Alaska. Yeah. A long ways from help. Yeah. So having an inreach and establishing communication ahead of time yeah. and then basic survival gear and, you know, just use common sense. Well, and point in case, I mean, that's what saved me on that, that one time I got yeah. stuck is I didn't show up where I was supposed to. Yeah. And my buddies realized that, yeah. you know, that yeah. had they just gone to bed or I hadn't even mm-hmm. told anybody I was coming out that yeah. night, like who knows? Yeah. You know, I mean, it was, it was cold that yeah. day, yeah. but, but yeah, no, an inreach. There's two things that are going to be recurring. Yeah. Yeah. In any situation we're going to talk about here. Um, and that's an inreach and a first aid kit. Yes. Those two things, no matter where you're at, what you're doing from in your truck to on a wheeler, on a boat, on your feet, in your backpack, yeah. Anywhere. Those two things are going to be always. Yeah reoccurring on the list of things to be prepared yeah um now the first aid kits will be varying in size obviously yeah since we're talking about trucks you're in your vehicle you should have a very very comprehensive first aid kit with you you're not worried about weight yeah you're hardly worried about bulk yeah um you can tuck it under the back seat somewhere or you know in the little you know, under the front seat in most of these vehicles now. Um, but being prepared for just about anything that can go wrong, mm-hmm. at least in the truck, yeah. is, is going to be paramount. Mm-hmm. You know, you, if you break a leg, if you have a heart, you're not a heart attack, but you're <laughs> approaching a heart attack, right? You're starting to have yeah. some chest pains or something like that. If you can have like medication mm-hmm. for that, if, mm-hmm. you can, if you're having sores, aches, if you're having, you know, weird, uh, illnesses. If you're having, uh, if you cut yourself really bad, having a bandage, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I've talked before on the show about those, uh, I don't know a different name for them, but they're called the Israeli bandage. Yeah. You know, they're these huge bandages. Um, and I mean, you could, <laughs> you can bandage up some stuff with those things Yeah, and, uh, having, you know, a few of those mm-hmm. in your truck just in case, right? Because what if you're, you're out somewhere on your wheeler and somebody gets really hurt, you're able to bandage them up out there as best you can, but then you're getting back to the truck. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're lucky enough to be able to get back to the truck, yeah. having more there yeah. Yeah. is, is going to be huge yeah. as far as, you know, surviving mm-hmm. a tourniquet. Really bad situation. Yeah. Tourniquet, quick clot, some kind of a, uh, a, a, a basic snap splint. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that can go a long ways. And, and, you know, I mentioned it earlier, but uh, a lot of folks hit moose. Oh Yeah. And there's plenty of folks that hit moose out in the middle of nowhere and uh, your vehicle is out of commission. You ain't yeah. driving out. And uh, it, there's a good chance that if that moose doesn't come through the windshield, you're still coming to a real sharp stop in a real big hurry. Yeah. And uh, it, nowadays, you know, if your airbags deploy correctly, that there are situations where they don't. Yeah. And your, yeah. head, your head might absolutely plaster the top of your steering wheel. Mm-hmm. You might bust your nose up something awful or split your forehead open. You need to have some basic bandages yeah. so that you can you know, be able to see 
to, to operate your inReach if you have mm-hmm. blood running down your forehead. Mm-hmm. And this, this all sounds extreme until it happens to you. Right. You are not the exception. Right. This can happen to any given one of us on any given day. Complacency is your enemy. Yeah. Thinking, yeah. oh, that happens to other people. That, doesn't, yeah. that won't happen to me. Yeah. It's just a quick run up north. Yeah. You know, oh, it's a quick yeah. run, you know, out to Moose Camp. Yeah. I've been there a hundred times. Yeah. Until it's not. Yeah. 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 But yeah, I think that's all I have to say about uh, dangers and safety in the truck. Yeah, There's a little foreshadowing. I think I'll take a uh, take some pictures of my my go kit, like all the stuff I take with me when I leave town, and do maybe do up a quick like what to take with you article, maybe for the website. Sure. Yeah. Now, now I got to do it. It's in no, the recording. I was gonna say you you have a yeah. habit of putting deadlines on yourself. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> that's how you get stuff done, right? Over promise, <laughs> under deliver. <laughs> <laughs> but no, oh, so, and, and you know, a lot of the reason we've spent so much time on the, the vehicle aspects of it is because, you know, there's a lot more you can have with you in your yeah. vehicle. Yeah. Um, and because it's a larger piece of equipment and you're traveling farther yep. and there's more changes to your environment, um, there is a higher potential for certain dangers yeah. Uh, yeah. Of, of, of a higher uh, seriousness, I guess would be the word you yeah. use there. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you get out to where you're going and let's say you jump on a wheeler and you're heading out on a trail. Mm-hmm. You know, how much of this is applicable to wheelers? Yeah. Honestly, a lot of it. Yeah. <laughs> Most of it is, yeah. You know, you- yeah, yes. As I mean, far as like the first aid kit goes, obviously you're gonna have to downsize a little bit, possibly. I was gonna say the the but the the basic idea of it, yeah, having communication and a first aid kit, mm-hmm. sure. Yep, making sure your in reaches with you. Yes, don't leave it at the truck on your person. On your person. Yeah, not in the truck. Yeah, um, is is a big one there. Uh. Toe like you strap. said, you're going to have to uh, downsize your first aid kit probably, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, but you can still have more on the wheeler than you can in yeah. your backpack, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, comfortably. Yeah. And that's huge too, mm-hmm. you know, especially if you're riding double with somebody or something yeah. like that, yeah. having enough to where if you both get goofed up, let's say it rolls on the side of a hill yeah. Yeah. and now you're both sitting there with maybe one has a broken arm, one has a broken leg mm-hmm. and you're just one, one. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's one situation. But uh use one guy's arms and the other guy's legs, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But, you know, having enough to to really take care of a, a big situation is good there. And yeah. and, you know, maybe that'll be a good thing to break down is maybe, you know, what is the appropriate size for each each yeah. stage of this. Yeah. Yeah. Um toe strap translates too from Toe uh, strap does recovery gear. To wheeler. I mean, what made me think about that was I was just kind of running through my head what I'll have. I'll usually have some kind of toe chain, tire mm-hmm. chains, toe strap, uh, uh, not carabiners, but the for shackles yeah. for a vehicle, for a vehicle, mm-hmm. right? Shackles, first aid kit, sometimes two, mm-hmm. one on yeah. each side. Um, I'll have, uh, like I said earlier, oil, fluids for my vehicle, uh, the range of tools I talked about earlier. Um, I'll have some kind of, you know, food, drink, something stuffed up under a seat that can stay there a long time. I mean, all these things just spam, spam. fire extinguisher, <laughs> roads, road mm. hazard, uh, triangles of some sort, yep, or, yep. um, or what's a lot more popular up here is the flares. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It's just, it, 
this is something I thought about talking about earlier. I didn't, I forgot to bring up. Are we going back to trucks now? Kind of. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, I know. Okay. I know. Sorry. I, I think this is important enough to bring up though. Something for wintertime in Alaska on the out, out, of, out, of, out, of, out of town is a, even if it's just a $50 handheld CB radio mm. would be a major, major thing where if you're stuck being able to, if you're stuck in a spot that's a road hazard, especially mm-hmm. if you're in a smaller vehicle, yeah. semi might be blowing through drifts and not see you because yeah. that happens plenty of times. Yeah. Being able just to get on that thing every few minutes Hey, you know, on, there's, there's channel nine, channel nine, channel nine is supposed to be emergency channel. Channel 19 is most of the road channels, right? Get on that thing and just like, Hey, four wheeler stuck on top of four wheeler, meaning vehicle, anything mm-hmm. that's not an 18 wheeler, just about right. Anything that's not a semi four wheeler stuck on top Eagle summit. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And, and also you might be able to call back and let somebody know you're stuck there when they're parked up hundred yards behind you because they decided not to try the drift you decided to try. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Exactly. Which, if, which you know, which I on might the windy be the guy roads. that decided to try the drift. Yeah. I'm just that guy. On, on the windy roads up here, a hundred yards might be very anyway, sorry out of sight. To, <laughs> sorry to wrap that back to that. It was a thought I had earlier and I didn't write it down. No, that's a good one. That is a good one. Um, but for like your recovery kit for a wheeler. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of people go out on wheelers without anything. Mm-hmm. They might have a winch and think that's okay. It ain't. It ain't. <laughs> <Yeah>. Nope. <laughs> um, it's a good way to get yourself in a lot of trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of it uh, pertains, you know, it, a lot of it's more useful if you have more than one wheeler out there with you. Yeah. You're riding yep. with somebody, with a buddy or something like that. Um, but a really interesting one is like, uh, like you had mentioned shackles. Yeah. You know, having something you can wrap around part of your, your wheeler. Yeah. And then hook, like mm-hmm. say your buddy's winch to. Yeah. Without putting tons of stress on, mm-hmm. on the, right. the axles or whatever you might have to hook yes. to otherwise, right? Yes. You can actually wrap it. You know, it's, it's like a, what is it, like an eight inch piece of fabric, yeah. like a toe strap with yeah. a, a eyelet on either side, yep. metal eyelet on either side. And you can just mm-hmm. wrap that around any hunk of metal on that wheeler. And that's now a toe point, as long as it's stable, you know, obviously yeah. do your research into what, what <laughs> part don't, is. Don't wrap it around your tie rods. <laughs> don't axle, wrap it around your tie rod or anything like that. But rods, if it's a solid axles, part of the frame, yeah. you know, you're good to go. Right, right. Um, a come along when you're by yourself. Yep. Come along's huge. Yep. Yeah. It, you know, come or, or, you know, my dad, when he's out in his Argo, he takes a rope along with him because he can go 100 plus feet with that. Mm-hmm. And a lot of places we're riding, you know, sometimes you're a lot more than a few hundred feet from trees. Yeah. <laughs> right. A ground anchor of some sort because right. of that. Yep, yep. Um, Tundra anchor. You know, I carry usually come along some sort of ground anchor or tundra anchor, some sort of um, some sort of rope, mm-hmm. like a hundred feet or so of it. Yeah. Usually in lengths because I don't necessarily want it all out at the same time. Yeah. Um, in case you got a lasso a caribou plus a fifty that too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> lasso it when it's dead so you can pull it out of the mud hole. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, because there is no pursuit of game on a motorized vehicle in Alaska. Oh, right. Straight right. from the rigs, folks. You mm-hmm. heard it here. um we do have fun on this show (laughs) no anyway but a toe strap like you said like a 15 foot Mm -hmm. toe strap yeah and it's really handy to have like you mentioned a shorter like a real short one but it's also really handy to have like a six footer oh yeah because then you're not doubling back it's about the right length to get somebody a buddy out of a hole Mm -hmm. it's the right length to wrap around a tree 
It works great, honestly, just to wrap around the frame too. Yeah. yeah. Something like that. I have a six footer or so toe strap that stays in a quick, a quick slip knot around my rack and hangs down by my leg mm. because I can just reach back, rip it up. Yep. We can get, get it, get down to business. Yeah. Yeah. Get me or the other guy pulled out of the hole. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I've, 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 I've uh, thought out my four wheeler kit a little bit. <laughs> and I usually also, if I'm going, especially by myself, very far with mm. a wheeler, I have some sort of toolkit. Yeah. I was just, oh, absolutely. Was just going to mention that. Yeah. Uh, tore down and cleaned out my fuel pump. Mm-hmm. Fuel and high flow fuel injection pump on my wheeler because I was having problems with it. Mm-hmm. It's amazing what you can do with a small amount of tools. Very small amount of tools. Should have bought a Honda. <laughs> yeah, because those guys never have problems. No. Never. Uh-uh. Never overheat. No. No. Never. <laughs> He's saying that to me because I bought a brand new Foreman back in the day and it overheated on our first trip. Out. Oh, no. Yep. Oh, yeah. Awful. It's about as bad as my Arctic cat that started to stall out every time I'd go down well, the hill first time. Oh, that was, that was awful. Yeah. Was that the time that you were with me? Mm-hmm. That was ridiculous. Yeah. Oh, yeah, or you could buy a Suzuki, and, you know, like a King Quad, never have an issue with that. No. Mm-hmm. Never going to blow fuses. Bulletproof. Bulletproof machines, oh, yeah. man. Never. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love my King Quad. I don't know what you're talking about. We're just pulling up stories from the old days because those are all instances that You know those Kawasaki's, though? Those things are great. They never have problems. <laughs> yeah. They just break apart. <laughs> Listen, any other wheeler would have broken it just as much, if not more, if I had ridden it like I ridden mine. Yeah. And you know that. Yeah, it's in the rider. <laughs> That's for sure. But yeah, go I mean, farther, but, stay longer. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. There it is. The old, the old punchline. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think it's worth mentioning. You're stuck, but you know, I, I think it's worth mentioning tires on wheelers too. And, mm-hmm. and, and as far as yeah. we're saying wheelers, this goes for side by sides. All, all, all those you know, basic off road ATV right. type mm-hmm. of access. This all stays the same. You know, toe strap recovery kit, rope along, tundra anchor. Obviously, you'd be able to carry kit. more on a side by side or Argo or something sure. like that than yeah. you would on a exactly. You know, um, possibly a little bit larger toolkit. Right? Maybe yeah. you bring that half inch impact if you got a side by side or an Argo. Mm-hmm. I mean, why not? If I'm by myself, I usually bring it on my wheeler. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But it, it, tires are a big consideration. There's plenty of fellers up here that mm-hmm. buy a brand new machine and take it out on stock tires and figure out in the first 10 minutes of their mud <laughs> yeah. ride that ain't going to cut it. Huh. Right. I wonder who's done that in this room. <laughs> me. Hey, me too. <laughs> really? But, yeah. but guess what? I was a broke teenager that just bought a brand new four-wheeler. I just yep. wanted to get out there and try yeah. it. And, and hey, he <laughs> had me to pull him out. So Yeah, yep. I, I had him to pull me out. Yep. yep, there you go. But, you know, you get yourself a good set of uh, ITP mud lights or, or ITP uh, mud light twos mm-hmm. or like the... Um, Mudzillas The Mudzillas. That's the yeah. ones I have is the mud lights, isn't it? I yeah. think so, yeah. Those things are phenomenal. The mud lights I, I, are, I, are the best low-cost co- low yeah. tire that just perform well. If you want to do a little more, the yeah. Mudzillas are the next step up. I really like them because they're not overly I'll, aggressive. I'll tell you this. Those mud lights, I have gone through loose rock. Mm-hmm. I've climbed boulders with it. Yeah. I've gone through swamp. Mm-hmm. I've gone through mud. I've gone 50 miles an hour on a paved surface. Like, boy. Anything I throw at those mine. tires... 
anything I throw at those tires, they handle. Yeah. So I, great I, option. I, I think on my Grizzly, mine are the ITP twos. I I yeah. I, 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 I like. Be, I believe. I, I like the twos a little better. There's several levels of the mud lights yeah. and the IP ITPs. I have the I have the uh, the Mudzillas, which mm-hmm. might actually be ITP as well. I don't remember. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. But I really like those as the next step up without going crazy into like the silverbacks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or the, the silverbacks are a bit much for me. Especially those for a hunting rig. Yeah. You know, I, I like the, because mine, I can still do all the stuff you said. Yeah. I can still climb. As soon as you get those really big tires, climbing gets really risky. Yeah. Well, and, and I'll yeah. say this too. Um, there's been some spots I've gone into with buddies that have really aggressive tires on their wheelers. Mm-hmm. And I will go over swampy areas and they just and you can't even really tell i was there there might be a little bit of a rut, right or there might yeah. be but you know i'll go over it and it'll kind of recover from me coming right, over the top right, of it right they'll go through it and tear it to shreds and then right. then i have a hard time getting back yeah because those really aggressive tires just dug in so much mm-hmm. and it, it whatever land bridge was there is no more yeah um and so that is a consideration too i mean you got to get back on the trail yeah you know typically don't buy a one-trick pony set of tires for your Mm off-road but whether it's a four-wheeler or a side-by-side um don't buy a one-trick pony set of tires unless you're only going to be in the mud then buy the most aggressive mud tires you can buy right if you're only going to be above tree line up in the rocks then then buy a set of rip saws but if you're going to be doing a little of this, a little of that, then mm-hmm. buy ITP mud lights or ITP mud light twos or the mudzillas. That way you can do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. It's good enough to get you through more mud than you probably want to go through. Right. And they're also, uh, they also have a good enough grip and tight enough of a tread pattern to work in the rocks of the higher elevation country that you might right. be riding in. Mm-hmm. Don't buy a set of rip saws and then try to take them out into river country to run a bear bait somewhere. Yeah. It ain't going to pan out for you very well. You, uh, it, it's crazy. There's a guy that was with running those. Yeah. He had a trailer that like, I don't know, the back of the trailer with the little tongue came down, maybe it was where he was parked, like a foot to 16 inches off the ground, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Now I could have put my wheeler on his trailer by pulling up tapping the gas, I would have popped right up onto it. He had to pull up to it. He and his brother getting off, picking up the front and hitting the gas with the throttle because he had the rip saws. Mm -hmm. I made fun of him the whole trip. Those tires. (laughs) We were in the bottomlands. We were at, um, Mm -hmm. Oh, the place. We we were at that, 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 that place where there was that ladder. Mm -hmm. We were down, down there. I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. No, no, we weren't. We weren't down there. We were in another spot that was actually muddy. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that spot wasn't very muddy. No, it wasn't. It, it wasn't. No, we were at another spot that was really muddy. And he, yeah. I think I, you know, got that big bumper on the front of mine. If you've got a rack or anything on the back of your wheeler, I'll just pull it behind you, push yeah. you out, and then drive through it. Mm-hmm. I've done that a lot. <laughs> she feels rub, really good. Just rub it in. Just rub it hey, in. you know what? Yeah. <laughs> at this point, I'm still having trouble with my battery not charging, and I've replaced all the parts in that system, so. Time to buy a Yamaha. <laughs> or Suzuki. I, I'm not against it. I, I, I like the way the Yamahas are designed, the newer yeah. ones. They've really put a lot of thought into I, I it. I love mine. The way that, the, where the location of everything is on them. Yeah. But without getting, going into debt. I, well, sure. Yeah. So at this point, it's just, and, 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 you know, and it might be worth, it might be worth it at some point here, but right now it's not. Yeah. If I can't, if I really can't get mine fixed and I just keep fighting with it, 
then it might happen. But yeah. at this mm-hmm. point, I, 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 if I do that, I really want two running wheelers. Not <laughs> right, right, right. And if I can get mine taken care of, you know, hey, that's there the only go. major issue it has right now. So, mm-hmm. you know, which is a pretty big issue, you know. Yeah. Talking about batteries and not running out in the middle of nowhere and being stuck. Well, kind of along the lines of batteries. Let me ask you this: Does your uh, Yamaha have a um, twelve volt charging port? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I would say my King Quad does, and I know a lot of the newer uh, wheelers do. Yeah. Um, one thing to keep with you is a charge cable for electronics. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. having some kind of a car charger for you, so you can charge your. Your phone, your inReach, whatever you might you have out there me? with you. I've got a six foot long iPhone cord. Oh, I know you do. Anywhere I go, I, I got a little white cord dangling up into my center console, <laughs> so, and I got I'll my say, iPhone in there. I, have, I know you do, and I know I do. Yeah, but I, I know an, a lot of people that don't. You bet. <laughs> I have an opinion on that. I have had vehicles, including highway vehicles, die or not start because of running one too many cell phone charges without running the vehicle. Well, you don't do it when it's not running. Well, yeah. Even on a wheeler with a brand new battery in a good system, in a newer wheeler, you take that thing out, you get in a bad situation where you're having to winch a bunch and stuff. That Mm -hmm. little bit of juice you pulled off, your phone was pulling, can make the difference in that thing starting or not or staying running even. Because with Hmm. all these new wheelers are fuel injected, they require power from the battery to actively keep it running. I have had... I, I unplug my 12-volt port. I do not use it on my wheeler. Well, we just got to cycle back to the fact you got to buy a Yamaha. Well, <laughs> you know, personally, that is just like you guys have safety things you stick by. Yeah, That's yeah. a big one for me. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'll, I'll say this. I, I have never I, had a problem I have with charged I run all my stuff I need power I for otherwise off of battery banks and whatnot that I usually have with me anyway. Sure, but it, I've had the same battery in the same four-wheeler for years. Yeah. And I have never had mine not start. I was going to say, and I, I've been in situations where I've had to winch a lot. Oh, yeah. Um, uphill. A, like a lot. I know, yeah. And we've, you've been with me when we had a winch completely die on us. Yeah. Yeah, that was and an I Arctic think the cat. wheeler still ran. Yeah. But. That was just a blown I winch. Ha- I have had um, a couple situations where a winch killed a battery, mm. which it can do. Mm-hmm. It will draw sure it far more power than that wheeler is generating to charge that battery. Um, That's why you rev it up, too. Well, yeah, but it still will draw more power than that thing is generating to charge yeah, that battery. Those but, winches. But, but if, if you use, you know, a little bit of discretion, then you just don't do that. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I know, I mean, but... That's just... <laughs> when you get your wheeler buried enough, then You just gotta be point, patient and wait it out. Yeah, well... <laughs> I mean, I, I, you've never been stuck anywhere with a dead battery on a wheeler, have you? No. Well, yeah. At some point, one day, he drives a Yamaha. Maybe you won't. Hopefully, <laughs> there you it is won't again. be. Hopefully, you won't. That's because I'm buying a new battery for it before next spring. Well, that's a good idea. That's a wise idea. Preventative. You know, yeah. I, I've, I've gotten four or five years out of my that's, one battery. That's very realistic to do yeah. in a wheeler. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I'm on my third year with this one i think i'm about to replace it anyway yeah i i, I just get nervous about electronics you might it's, it's just worth but, it especially you know? a wheeler battery they're yeah. not that much what is it like 150 bucks not even really yeah depends yeah. on the wheeler depends on the battery yeah but but, but yeah. either way it, it's cheap insurance if um, nothing else and, right and, and don't peace of mind don't go buy super start battery from o'reilly's go buy the brand yamaha name brand, brand yeah. yamaha battery mm, yep. yeah most of yeah. the time manufacturer batteries especially for wheelers, are, are the best. Yeah, go I would agree north, with that. Go down the Northern if it, if Power and find one. If it's the one that's meant to go with that wheeler. Yeah, but there's a, there's a reason. 
But yeah, having some way to keep your oh yeah in reach alive, you know, which don't get me wrong, in reaches will uh, oh yeah will last a long time. time if you're not using it yeah. every couple of minutes like it's a cell phone. Yeah, which um, I don't. No, <laughs> you shouldn't be. But uh, try to use it as little as possible. But, but yeah, making sure that if you do end up stuck out there. Uh, for any extended period of time that yeah. you have a way to keep it charged yep. just in case. Yep. Um, whether that's, you know, with a, a battery bank or, you know, having, mm-hmm. using this charge port that uh, comes with a lot of these wheelers these days is, is a good option. Yeah. Um, kind of along the same lines, if you end up being stuck out there for a while, one thing I really got in the habit of doing is making sure I basically have you know the you get all these preppers talking about their bug out bags, <laughs> you yeah. know a thirty six hour bug yeah. out bag yeah. or something like yeah. that. Basically, have at least that on your wheeler. Yeah, if you're going out somewhere, uh, wheelers you can get places in a matter of hours. That I mean, it's gonna if you had to walk out, it's gonna take you a long time. Yeah. Um, and in some cases, let's say you get hurt or whatever, maybe not catastrophically hurt, but mm-hmm. you just can't walk. Yeah, you know, even just a sprained ankle can really, really affect oh, yeah. how yeah. your ability to walk out of there. Yeah, doesn't take much. No. Nope. Um, so having a way to just keep yourself sustained, keep yourself alive for that amount of time, mm-hmm. um, be it a uh, uh, emergency little bivy shelter of sorts, a um, little bit of extra food, something like that. Even if you're just going out for a day trip, you know, bring a little bit of food, bring a camp stove, bring bring an emergency shelter. Um, anything just in case your day trip turns into a multi-day trip, uh, you are prepared. Yeah. And, and, and that's a really big thing. You can fit anything you'd need for that on a wheeler. And I would say that pretty much wraps up. I mean, wheelers and majority of the safety issues you're going to run into yeah. when you're approaching one, as long as you can make sure mm-hmm. you can get unstuck, make sure you're able to take care of yourself if you get hurt, make mm-hmm. sure you're able to overnight if you get stuck and you yeah. can't get out. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a lot of the times you're using your wheeler to access areas that you're going to hike away from anyways, right? Or you have a camp set up yeah. or something of, the, of that nature where you're going to have either mm-hmm. more supplies or you've got a lot of stuff with you anyways. So yeah. I'd say make sure you can walk back to the truck or whatever. Like, I mean, that sounds easy, but if you're broke down and you can't get out, you're stuck and you can't get out, being able to walk back to your vehicle, well, it sounds like an easy thing to do. We talked about having all this stuff, but just having it thrown in a garbage bag on the wheeler and yeah. not being able to easily carry it back to the truck. Like, it's really easy to get on a wheeler and have everything with you on the wheeler, especially mm. if you're planning on hunting and camping by your wheeler. Yeah. But the moment you have to walk out, everything changes. Oh, you mean like, so like keeping it with a, like a backpack or a something backpack, like that. A backpack. Yeah. And, yeah. And having some stuff that's at least set up. So, yeah, you may leave a lot of gear with the wheeler. Sure. Mm. But being able to take what you need. Well, like, yeah, you. like your survival gear. And yeah, you may not normally yeah. have a sling on your rifle on a wheeler. I know guys that do that. Personally, just keep a sling on your rifle. You don't want to leave that with your wheeler. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. You, you know what I mean? So I know that's just, I know it sounds like a simple thing. Yeah. But sometimes you got 20 miles. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, that's what I was saying. I mean, you can, and it might only take you, you know, I mean, I've gone on an easy trail. I mean, you can get there in a few hours. So, mm-hmm. or, or less. Yeah. But, But anyway, let's take a quick break. Everybody knows that one of the most important pieces of a hunter's kit is their knife. 
Whether you're looking for a flushing blade, a skinning blade, or just a quality, multi-purpose knife for the backcountry, Yukon River Knives has what you need. They offer blades such as the Hunter, Small Game, and the Sendero Bush Knife. Yukon River Knives is based in Texas and has a unique mission goal in that a percentage of all knife sales go to support a missionary in Alaska. Now Dalton, you've experienced with these knives in the field. Talk to us about that. As a matter of fact, I have used a few of their knives and watched my good friend Remy use them for years with great results. They have a micarta handle that doesn't get slippery when it gets wet, and they have phenomenal edge retention for long skinning jobs. Go check out our web link on thenorthernhunter.com and that'll take you directly to Yukon River Knives website to see their full selection and order your knives for your next hunt with the discount code THENORTHERNHUNTER at checkout. And remember, nothing replaces a quality hunting knife. All right, so we've pretty much wrapped up all kinds of wheeled access. Yeah. What about non-wheeled access? What about boats? Waterborne. Waterborne. A lot of accidents can happen when you're on the water. Yeah. Um, a lot of things can go wrong when you're navigating water systems. Um, yep. Oh, and you've probably spent most time on boats, I would say, uh, between your your various uh, yeah. <laughs> various endeavors. So why don't you take this one away for to get it started? Well, and th- this is not just for one kind of boating either. You know, th- there's yeah. there's a lot of different ways that people access, um, you know, for fishing or just going out for a nice float trip mm-hmm. uh, or camping trip on Fourth of July uh-huh. or uh, hunting. And th- mm-hmm. there's a lot of a lot of different kind yeah. of boating access might throughout a, the state. Might take a paddleboard out on the lake. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know no. what? I don't know how much you're going to carry on a paddleboard. But. You know, just, <laughs> just for when you're on 4th of July trip, you might do that. And, and there's a lot of things you need to think about in those situations. He's striking a personal chord there. Oh, wow. I can't believe it struck <laughs> it as strong as it has. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm still, still not over that. It, it's a story worth telling, folks. So here we are and here <laughs> I we go. Say, I sense a story. <laughs> here, here we are and here we go. So 4th of July weekend, a couple of years ago. Here I am, about ready to dip my toes in a deep mountain alpine lake to go lake trout fishing. Mm. My wife has this two-person, stand, uh, not stand-up, but uh, inflatable paddleboard. And in between us, sitting on the paddleboard, is a milk crate to hold all my uh, tackle box. And then I had a little, you know, that, that little 10-liter uh, black sea line roll-top dry bag, inside of which were my truck keys. My cell phone, uh, my wallet, and my handgun, because we had ridden a four wheeler into said Alpine Lake mm-hmm. to uh, to access the area, and then we had actually inflated the uh, the paddleboard off of the uh, the little twelve volt charger. We had a little pump plugged into the four wheeler, charged you know, um, inflated the the paddleboard, and then. Uh, you know, we were off on our way, like Jack Sparrow and his Merry Merry Men. Well, we got out probably 300 yards off. And I, you know, I thought, man, this looks like a nice, good, deep spot in the lake to start fishing. Both of us were wearing life jackets. And uh, I'm sitting there, threw out a line. I, I, I don't think I got three cranks on my line. And my butt started getting wet. I thought, well, that's weird. And that now, for for reference' sake, you're not really out of the water. You're pretty much sitting on the water. Yeah. 
which I hate. And I had told my <laughs> wife many, many times before that I didn't like that paddleboard, but she loved it. Past tense. So I, I, I looked down at my seat and it was losing air mm. in a hurry. I freaked <laughs> because right in between my knees in that milk crate mm. is my black dry bag full of valuable things. I mean, the truck keys, wallet, handgun, mm-hmm. um, all this other, you know, expensive stuff. And irreplaceable things for the time being. No. You can't drive home. Those, those, are, the, <laughs> those are truckies. <laughs> and so, you know, thankfully, there was another boat on the lake that had a motor on it. Somebody else on a side-by-side had drugged this little John boat all the way up to this lake. <laughs> Goodness knows how. I, I think he had a roof rack. And uh, so I started hollering for all I was worth. We're second. I need help. <laughs> and meanwhile, I'm just paddling away. And I told my wife, I said, get it in gear, woman. We got to get to shore. <laughs> and she said, we have life jackets on. I said, my dry bag doesn't. So, <laughs> and so, yes, I, I, I know I could have just held on to the dry bag. <laughs> but I didn't want to go through all this and, and risk losing my dry bag now, full of stuff. Well, and- quick caveat. While all this is happening, me... And the rest of us on this trip yeah. in like three or four kayaks uh-huh. are four or 500 yards from you, yeah. further from the shore, uh-huh. towards the other side of the shore. Yeah. It, so we hear you guys yelling, <laughs> and we all start paddling your direction. I don't know why. You were closer to the shore than we were to you. So I remember this because that boat had a couple of little kids in it. Mm-hmm. And in hindsight, it, 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 uh, my wife's sister was also along with mariah and his wife we thought that a little kid had gone in the water and that there was a situation there and so they all were you know hauling butt to get over towards us and uh, we were just trying to get to shore before we sunk yeah and had a whole fiasco it was a whole so you know thankfully the boat came over and pulled alongside and the first thing i did was slunk my dry bag right in the boat i said (laughs) all right we're good (laughs) <laughs> that was that's all I cared about. I, I didn't care if I got wet. It didn't bother me. You know, we had life jackets on. Not a big deal. I just did not want to lose my dry bag. And we got to shore and my wife said, well, the water was kind of cold. It might have just deflated a little bit. And I said, not that much, sweetheart. We're throwing <laughs> this thing in the garbage. <laughs> Never have been back on that stupid thing since. Last year, you know what I brought? Canoe. There you go. That was a way to go, too. Oh, that was way better. We brought a couple canoes. I don't like the kayaks, really, either myself. No, I hate them. I hate them. I love being in a canoe. Up off the water, see down in there. Oh, yeah. Way better experience. So, on that note, life jackets. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We've said this before on the show. The water kills more folks than anything else in the elements in Alaska every year. Mm -hmm. Whether you're floating a river or running a jet boat on a river or out in the ocean, whether it's fishing or hunting or going from one place to the other, just for fun. A lot of folks in Alaska get themselves in trouble every year in the water. Yep. We read that story earlier on uh, that, that last year about that, uh, that group of tourists down on the Kenai area somewhere, and uh, they ran into a windstorm. Oh, and like seven yeah. people went in the water. Now, that, thankfully, they were all able to get to shore. Chilkoot Lake. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, Chilkoot Lake. Yeah. But that, I mean, that's a perfect example. Had they not been wearing life jackets, man, you, you're going to lose some people. Mm-hmm. 
and, and, and a lot of times with having a life jacket on mm-hmm. in some of these silt heavy rivers and these fast flowing water, even if you have a life jacket on, yeah. a lot of times that's just so they can find the body. Yeah. And that, that's unfortunately, the, that is the sad reality of it. Yeah. You want to do everything you can to stay out of the water up here. Well, and like you, I think you talked about this aspect of it in the, in that episode, but you yeah. know, just the shock yeah. of, of hitting yeah. that water and how yeah. cold it is. Yeah. Um, and I think we even looked it up at that point. Isn't it like 26 times the amount of thermal, um, yes. uh, disruption or, or thermal draw yeah. out of your body it'll, yeah. than right. air is, right? Well, water yeah. is. Water works so good in heating systems, right? Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah. you know, it's just going to zap. Yeah, all that heat out of your body, and then yeah. it's going to—I mean, there's, just, the sheer shock value of yeah. that. You're going to freeze up. You're not yep. going to be able to—you know—you're not going to be the superhero in a movie you think you're going to be yeah. in that situation. Yeah, yeah. It it will change your mind once you yeah. fall into a river like that. I, I, even just like an alpine lake. Obviously, that there are some situations where there are some slower moving, you know, shallow parts of a river that people swim in recreationally mm-hmm. or some ponds or a, or a, or a lake somewhere. Sloughs, things like that. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and and that's all well and good if you know that it's shallow enough that you can at the end of the day just stand up and walk out. Right. But but even then there are people that drown in the sloughs up here too. That's true. Because it gets in over their yeah. head, they get cold that they get to a cold spot, they dive down, they get cold. And then they inhale a bunch of water. And th- that happened just a few years right. ago in, in mm-hmm. a slough not far out of town. Somebody just swimming just for fun, and they got they got cold, went hypothermic, and died in, in the summertime. Yeah, that, that 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 wasn't that long ago, was it? It was just a few years ago. It felt like I think so. Yeah, I I, I suppose it could have been a little bit longer ago. But point being, the water's cold. Mm-hmm. It is even it's- even in June, July, August. If it's shallow, it's going to be warmer. But once you get down past that warm layer from the sunshine. Uh, that's that's mm-hmm. still very cold yeah. water. Most of the water in those rivers and stuff, even in the summertime, yeah. is barely above freezing. Yep. 35 yep. degrees yep. is usually about where it's a at. A lot of it's glacial fed. A yeah. lot of it's still getting fed from snow uh, up, up, in the, uh, up in the Alpine country. And so staying out of the water is your number one priority. Yeah. However, when you are on a waterborne vessel, wear a life jacket. Yeah. That shouldn't be a question in your mind. It doesn't matter how good of a swimmer you are. Mm-hmm. You could fall over and smack your head on a driftwood log in a river that you don't see. Yeah. You hit something in the river, you get thrown, you get knocked unconscious. Well, now you can't swim. Even if you're a good cold water swimmer, let's just say that you could make it out. Yeah. Well, what if you get knocked out? You wreck the boat, you get smacked on the head on the way out, and now mm-hmm. you're going to drown unconscious. Yeah. You're not even going to know what happened. So have a life jacket on. That is imperative for for water safety up here yeah absolutely and they have a lot of different styles too yes. that you can choose from yes you know and that's one thing i know i've heard a lot of complaints and even myself have had complaints about uh is you know especially if it's a colder time of year and let's yeah. say you're out on a boat and you've got a lot of gear on yep you've got a lot of clothes on and putting that life jacket on just makes everything so tight and just it's it's just it's uncomfortable you can't move yeah. your arms right you know, there's other styles where, you know, you had mentioned at the beginning of this episode, the ones that have the, the beacon, right? Yes. The water activated beacon. They have other ones where they'll self inflate when yes. you get in the water yep. too. And yep. so, and those are much less bulky. They're much less, uh, you know, restrictive on your movements. Yep. And so even if it's, if, if that's what it, it takes, getting one of those to be comfortable enough to wear one consistently yeah right yep, that's exactly. a lot better than not not wearing one at all they got the full-on raincoats that have the 
Yeah, the float and, systems. Yeah. And flavors yeah. in them. And, and, and it's just a raincoat until you go in the water, you pull the string and. Yep. Yep. Mm. Those are good options too. Yeah. yeah. So that, that, number one, have a, have a PFD, personal flotation device. Mm-hmm. You got to have one. It's, Absolutely. It, it's, it's too much of a risk to not have it. And, and if you go in, that's the difference between getting out alive and getting out in a bag. Yeah. And that's just the harsh reality of it. So wear a float coat or a life jacket or a life vest of some sort. Second thing is, let's just talk about floating for a second. Mm-hmm. Patch kits. A lot of these rafts are pretty durable. Yeah. But, you know, you shoot your caribou, you shoot your moose, whatever it is. You, you shoot a bear and you accidentally, you know, put a claw through, yeah. <laughs> through, a, or a, through a tube or, 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 yeah, uh-huh. or, or, or a tine on, on, a, on an antler rack. Whatever it might be, or you just you know bump into a sweeper the wrong way and catch rock, a yeah. catch a catch a sharp stick or a sharp rock on the mm-hmm. shore somewhere. Usually those river rocks are pretty well rounded, but every once in a while you bump into one, you look at it and you go, "Wow, that 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 could actually pop a hole in the raft." Oh yeah, have a patch kit mm-hmm. and have glue that isn't twenty years old and hard. <laughs> that yeah. is a big thing. Yeah. I was rafting with somebody not that long ago. Uh, nobody that you know, anybody from here would recognize the name of, but a feller that was a pretty experienced rafter. And uh, I, I was helping him set up the raft and patch kit in the, in, the, in the bottom of the boat bag. And I looked at it and I just kind of picked it up to put it in the spot with the emergency kit. And I kind of just squeezed that little tube of glue in there and it was rock hard. Mm-hmm. That, okay. That is useless. Yeah. Completely mm-hmm. useless. We pop a hole in this thing and we're using Gorilla, gorilla Glue and duct tape and hoping it's going to hold long enough to get us down river to an extraction Shoving point. twigs and spit and gum and whatever you yeah, want. Yeah. 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 Which and, sucks. Yeah. yeah. And, and if it's a big enough hole, then none of that's going to work. Right. And now you're waiting for mm-hmm. an airdrop or... A buddy with a boat that can get to you, which yeah. if you're that far out of town like we were, ain't nobody coming to get us. Well, and that's a, a very excellent point for any of these things that we've talked about yeah. um, with safety gear, survival gear, any of that is don't buy it and forget about it yeah. until you need it. Yeah. Um, you know, you had mentioned with, when we were talking about the tire chains, mm-hmm. you know, getting used to them, trying them out, figuring out how to put them on. Um, you know, one of the worst things you can do aside from buying a piece of survival gear and forgetting about it until you need it 20 years later mm-hmm. is buying a piece and never actually learning how to use it. Yeah. yeah Whether exactly. that's yeah. A, a first aid kit or tire yeah. chains or yeah. a patch kit for your, your raft. Right. If you don't know how to patch a raft, you know, yeah. the time to figure it out is not when you're soaking wet and, yeah. you know, Sent, barely yeah. got half your gear out of the yeah. river standing on a gravel bar in the middle of the brooks range going now how does this work do exactly. i put do i put the glue on the patch or do i put the glue on the raft itself but, but you know, this and, should be pre-season right practice yeah. every year to yeah. through your inventory if your yeah. glue needs to be replaced replace it yeah like yeah it's you not know, that hard five dollar tube of glue yeah it, there's there's no excuse i remember growing up my dad had a bag mm-hmm. a blue nylon bag roll top not a dry bag but yeah um and it wasn't that big, maybe 12 inches in diameter, <clears throat> 16 inches long, this fat little bag. And he called it his just-in-case bag. Mm-hmm. He had everything, uh, medical, mm-hmm. first aid. He had, you know, some pills and drugs. He knew that certain 
you know, it doesn't happen to him, but once every 10 years, but if he gets a certain sick, a certain way, he needs this, mm-hmm. especially when he's in the middle of nowhere to survive. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so he had that, all that kind of stuff in there. And it was just, just like, you know, he had patch kits for rafts. He had extra set of hand warmers and he always was updating it and keeping, you know, keeping it from being too bulky, mm-hmm. but always just keeping what he thought what might be needed. Mm-hmm. He was going snow machining. Yeah. He had spark plugs. Yeah. He was going in a boat. He would try to have whatever, even if it was somebody else's boat, he'd have whatever he thought might be, mm-hmm. you know, he'd have a generic boat spark plug. Yeah. Yeah. Because he'd been in those situations in somebody else's boat where they had none yeah. of that. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, and, and I think he's got some stories of being with the other people and even his own thing where something he had in that bag. Yeah. And it, and it seems kind of crazy, but. Until you use it. Until you, you need it. Exactly. And it's kind of like, I, yeah. you know. All the stuff I keep in, you know, one of my trucks is just set up. I've mm. talked, I talked about all the stuff I keep in it, right? Yeah. And it seems, you know, and some people might think it's a little extreme, but you know what? When I'm in that truck and somebody's in the ditch, mm-hmm. when I'm in that truck and somebody needs help, I, I pretty much have what's needed to get the situation taken care of. Yeah. 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 On that note, aside from a patch kit... Yeah. No basic mechanics mm-hmm. on how to fix your boat motor before you go out in the field. If you're renting a boat from somebody, um, watch a YouTube video about what motor it is. Yeah. You know, don't just show up and expect that motor to be in fine working condition and then not have any problems the whole duration of the trip. Yeah. M- many times over the years, I have used other people's boat motors whether it be guiding or on personal hunts and run into problems. Mm-hmm. Remington and I rode miles in the ocean and thank goodness it was a calm night. But we, we rode hours into the dark after deer hunting one night in an inflatable raft with a little motor on it that died halfway out in the channel. We rode for hours. And that... But, we road, didn't like oars. Yeah, like oars. I think you told that story in episode two, didn't you? It, it, possibly. I believe, so. I believe yeah. you did. Yeah. yeah. That, but, but that was a situation where we were awfully glad we had oars because it, it, there wasn't... Mm-hmm. Remy and I went through everything that it could have possibly been that we could fix in the field and we couldn't come up with a fix for yeah. it. Couldn't figure it out. Water in the fuel lines, yeah. anything like that. Couldn't yeah. figure it out. Yep. And so we ended up, you know what? Let's just... Pull the motor out of the water and start rowing. Not going to do us any good to just sit out here and yeah. drift. Mm-hmm. But, you know, a lot of people don't have oars in their little dinghy that go back and forth mm-hmm. to shore that they've got a little kicker motor on it. And it seems stupid to say, but have oars. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and, and if you're doing a float trip, have an extra one. Yeah, absolutely. People lose them all the time. And the last thing you want to have to do is navigate some technical water and be one oar short. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah. Or you can break one. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. You can snap one off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So redundancy is going to be a common theme throughout this whole episode at this point. Yeah. But two is one, one is none. Mm-hmm. So have an extra of that. But uh, familiarity with your boat motor, know how to change a prop, know how to disassemble your jet foot on, on your boat motor right. if, if you're running the interior. If you suck up rocks and you can get to shore, and that, that's a dangerous situation. But if you can get to shore, pull it up and know how to take that apart. 
Mm-hmm. There are a lot of guys that are a lot more knowledgeable about boats and especially in the interior than I am. Mm-hmm. But at some point, I and I've got one particular fella in mind that's that's had hundreds and hundreds of hours on the interior rivers that we're, mm-hmm. that we're going to have on specifically to talk about boat safety and preventative maintenance and you know, a, a, perhaps a little segment of backcountry mechanic for boats. <laughs> there we go. Um, but yeah, there there are a lot of things to consider with boats. And the hard part about boating is it's a lot harder to walk out. Mm. Yeah. Because you, <laughs> yeah. you ain't taking a trail. No. Right. You're floating to a through point somewhere, to an extraction point. No. Or you're jet boating way up river somewhere, and then you're going to come back down. Or even worse, you're jet boating downriver yeah and you got to come back expecting to come back up yeah at least Mm -hmm. if you go upriver and you and 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 your boat you know zonks out on you Mm -hmm. you can maybe float your way back down with a set of oars and maybe get into shore in time at your extraction point and not float past it helplessly (laughs) screaming at the guys in the parking lot (laughs) i'm down in the water come get me (laughs) i've I've heard a few of those stories. That's <laughs> not a good place to be, but at least you can float back by the drop. Yeah, right. You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, th- there's a lot more to consider with safety, but uh, but again, the same thing goes. Have emergency preparations with you. Mm-hmm. I don't care if you're just running up the tannin off for a quick day of fishing, you know, catching some of the pike and some of the side mm-hmm. slews between Fairbanks and Ninana. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Bring stuff for overnight with you. Exactly. Don't go unprepared. Yeah. And uh, you know, obviously, a first aid kit goes on goes uh, uh, unsaid. Mm-hmm. Other thing too is a depth finder, yeah. and and this this is especially important for the interior for the jet boats being off of the sandbars, but it's very important on the coast as well. It's a very rocky coast that Alaska has. There's a lot of stuff that is hidden at high tide. And looks massive at low tide. Mm-hmm. That at low tide, you'd run a boat through that channel and go, "Wow, that is some huge structure in here." Yeah, I, I that I don't think I'd ever be able to hit that. Well, when the tide comes up and it gets hit, and it's barely covering that rock, and it's barely covering yeah. the rock, and it's flat light. Yeah, and you're cruising along on step, not paying attention. Smash! Yeah. Next thing you know, you're stuck on top of it. Stuck on top of it, or, or sm- thrown yeah. from the boat. Yeah. I was going to say, and yeah. the boat stays there, or stays in gear and runs off without you. Mm-hmm. So that's another thing too: is have your little red emergency shut off attached to your wrist when you're running a boat. Yeah, don't just sit there and think, "Well, it's not going to happen to me." Wrap it around your wrist because if you get thrown from that boat and that boat keeps on a going. <laughs> uh, you, you, you let me know how that turns out <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's not, not going to be good it's not going to be good yeah. no. because at least if you get thrown from the boat and you're wearing a life jacket if the boat shuts off then you can probably paddle your way back over to the yeah, boat yeah. shivering cold yeah, well, but you're going to make it as long as you didn't rip out the hole on the rock or something Yeah. so depth finder especially on the coast for, for jagged rocks like that. that that is not a forgiving thing to do mm. If you're on inflatable, man, you're mm-hmm. you're in some real trouble. Well, and even just having some sort of maps that show you yes. and mark all those rocks because all that coast and, has been run in sonar yeah. before, right? Yep. Yeah, it's and, all available. I, I was going to mention that Navionics app that yep. you got for deer hunting this year. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I'm going to get that even for spring bear hunting Dude, because I, I I I run a lot of inflatables for that. All of us do down there at Bear yeah. Camp, 
And that is going to be awesome because it's not like we have a Garmin depth finder on an inflatable raft for bear hunting. Right. right. So I'm going to have that Navionics. I mean, you bet your bottom dollar. Yeah. 50 bucks a year. Yeah. That's what I pay for Onyx. Mm-hmm. Why, right. why, why wouldn't I want maps for the water? Yeah. Right? So exactly. having something like that is irreplaceable. And I can't believe I hadn't found that sooner. And to be honest with you, I, I felt like I should have had that a long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so yeah, that, that that's that's another thing that's important to important to know what's under the water too. Mm-hmm. Mm, absolutely. So, yeah. But, and you know, that goes honestly just as important for the interior rivers as yeah. it is for the coastline. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. know, I mean there's yeah. just like there's rocks and stuff like that yeah. down there. Um, you know, the shore of the rivers up here is not the only place that has trees and sweepers. Oh yeah, a lot of those fall into the water, mm-hmm. you know, and then they'll get lodged in the bo- yep. the base somewhere, and some of those are a half inch below the water level. Yeah, when you're boating on those rivers. Yep, and you can't see them until you're. It's mm-hmm. usually it's too late. Just, just about or you're too late. Really yeah. paying attention. Yeah, um, which that, you have to be switched on. Yeah. Oh yeah, especially absolutely. Rivers. Yeah, but you know, and a lot of people, you know, if if they're new to this, you know, might not understand that there's there's trees sticking up at 30, 45 degree angles in that water that you can get hooked on pretty easily. And I know several, several tales of people sinking boats doing that. Yeah. Um, Puncturing inflatables and things of that nature. Yeah. Um, Which kind of cycles back to, you know, like you, having your survival gear with you. Yeah. Even if you're just making a quick run. Um, But to go back to the coastline and with that is... I remember when we were, you, you were first bringing me down there to uh, deer camp mm-hmm. and you made sure, you know, you, you knew Mo and I knew what we were doing, but you still wanted to make sure and double check and be like, Hey, just so you know, every day, bring your, bring your camp gear. Mm-hmm. We said, absolutely. Always do. Right. Mm-hmm. Because the tides in Alaska mm-hmm. are insane. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we have 20 to 25 foot tides in, in some places. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, as you said, with the landscape and everything like that, it can look massively different. Yeah. Uh, I know we have a lot of people right into the show and talk about coming down for deer hunts and, yeah. and such as their DIY Alaska trip. Yeah. And maybe they're, they're renting a little boat down there. So talk a little bit about uh, tracking the tides and how to make sure you don't end up high centered in a boat. <laughs> yeah yeah or, or 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 come back out after a day of hunting and find your boat high and dry yeah number one get a tide book at a local store somewhere every mm-hmm. be, be, like before you go out and then figure out what region you're in don't look at the tides for for catch a can if you're hunting juno right. or you know don't look at the tides for the cook inlet if you're hunting yakitat um but make sure you've got the right area and then uh, just fold that tide book open to, yeah. that, to that time frame so that you know you're always going to be looking at the right chart. Yeah. Other thing is, is download the Tide app. That app is irreplaceable for me. That is awesome mm. because you can look at not only what the high and low is and times of that, it also has a, a, um, a little line graph over the time uh, of, of day and you can click and slide on that little line that, that is the Tide. And it'll tell you what level the tide is at what time you're holding on that line. Mm. So give an example. 
when I get back to uh, to home base of deer camp every evening, I Indian anchor the boat. That's where you put the anchor on the bow of the boat, push it out with a lead line of the anchor back to shore, a long line, but that way the boat doesn't go dry. So I push it out as hard as I can, let it drift out, and then I yank that rope, drops the anchor down off the bow, and then I tie off the slack end of that line to shore to a secure object. That way, in case it yanks the anchor and wants to go out, it's still attached to shore somewhere. Mm. So. Um, the, uh, the, the advantage of the Tide app is you can look at right at that moment, say it's, I don't know, four o'clock in the afternoon and it is, uh, the, the, the tide level is five feet. Well, I know that I have to be up in the morning and out by, let's say seven thirty. So I can look at, okay, right now the water is at a five foot level. Over the night of a tide cycle, mm-hmm. by 7.30 in the morning, let's just say it's going to be six feet of water. Well, okay. I know I'm good then. If the boat is floating now, then I'm going to have a foot more water in the morning. So I know I'm good. But if you look at that tide on that scale and say, well, it's five feet of water right now, but at 7.30 in the morning, I'm only going to have three and a half feet of water. So now I know as the tide goes out that night, as I'm eating dinner two hours from now, I'm going to come back out here and push the boat out again and move it out farther yeah. so that it's in deeper water in the morning so that, I'm not, so that I'm not dry. You do the same thing when you're out hunting during the day. Mm. When you go in, say you go in the morning on an outgoing tide, don't let that boat go dry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you've got, you know, again, five feet of water, if you're going to be in the timber all day for the rest of that tide cycle and then on to the incoming tide in the afternoon, make sure that you've got enough water by dark to get that boat back in the water. Otherwise, push it way out there. Yeah. If you have to, and I've done this several times, during the middle of the day, get out of the woods, come back out as the water's going out and go push the boat out farther. Mm. I, I know it's not fun, and I know you feel like you're wasting your time, but <laughs> the last thing you want to do is wait out a tide cycle after dark mm-hmm. and just right. sit there twiddling your thumbs while your boat's sitting there dry on the rocks. Number one, it's bad for the boat. Number two, whoever you're renting that boat from is probably never going to rent you that boat again because you're just trashing their stuff. Yeah. And then uh, number three, well... Nobody likes to just sit in a boat that's not in the water. Right. So, <laughs> so I'm on that Navionics app. Yeah. And I knew it had tide features. I hadn't really looked at them because you were using your stuff yeah. while we were out there. Yeah. But it has the same thing, sliding bar. Nice. Even better, with that sliding bar. Oh, it shows it on the shoreline. It shows it and it actually changes the depth. No kidding. In the app and on the map based on where you have it on the bar. Hmm. Wow. So you can see it based on high tide, low tide. That's a pretty nifty app. Another plus for Navionics there. Yeah, Yeah. no kidding. Um, So yeah, to just making sure that you've got a heads up on what's going on with the tide. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you are in an area where you've just got nothing but long, long, shallow shelves to work with, and it's going to be impossible for you to leave the boat for any amount of time, then get a kayak. Yeah. Anchor in the deep water, paddle into shore with a kayak. Mm-hmm. Make sure you got your life jacket on in case the waves are going. Because <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> right. that could be, a, that, that could be a, uh, a moisturizing event in the salt water right, that's right. unwelcomed. And at that point, <laughs> you're just going to go back to camp and dry out anyway. 
<laughs> yeah, that's going to ruin your day. Yeah. But that's probably what I would say for down there with the tides is just mm-hmm. get some kind of an app on your phone that you can look at what the level is now and uh, you're not having to guess how much water is going to be there in four hours. You can look at how fast it's coming or going. Right. That's, that is a big help yep. to be able to do that. Yeah. So. And, you know, and, and that's not just for convenience sake. No. You know, it's not just because you don't want to sit in the boat uh-huh. and wait for the tide to come back. It's not yeah. just because you don't want to wake up and not be able to go hunt. Yeah. Because the boat's dry on land. Yeah. It's if something goes south. Yeah. And you need to get out of there. Yeah. Quickly. Yeah. The last thing you want to do is go to your only means of transportation. Yeah. And see that it's immobilized. Yep. yep. Your so. friend gets hurt or you get bit by a bear or something like yep. that. Something goes wrong. You got to beat feet and get out of there and mm-hmm. you run out to the shore and <gasps> the boat's dry. Yep. Now you're in real trouble. And then, and it's going to be dry for another seven hours. Yeah. Yeah. What now? Well, yep. now, now you're calling the coasties. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Somebody's getting a helicopter ride out of there, and it ain't going to be you if you ain't hurt. Right. You're exactly. going to watch your friend get get uh, taken into a warm helicopter, and uh, you're going to have to sit there and wait for the tide to come back in. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You might be able to ask him to leave you a sandwich or something, but uh, yeah. Yeah, boating safety is a big thing. I, there, there's a lot, of, a lot of variables out there. Mm-hmm. A lot of things can go wrong. Yeah, and I don't mean to make it sound like it's doom and gloom. That there's a ton of great hunting to be had on the water out yeah. there in Alaska, but you've got to have your wits about you all the time. There, mm-hmm. you cannot, you cannot afford to have a lapse in judgment. You just, yeah, you can't do it. Yep, you got to have the foresight to look at what's going to happen. Yeah, what not what's going to happen. Sorry, what could happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You don't want you don't want to go into the situation thinking it's going to happen, but you need to be prepared and, for and it. And you know, kind of on that note too, foresight seeing what's about to happen. Know how to read the weather. Yeah, if you're going out and the weather looks like it's about to change on the ocean, it changes like that. Mm-hmm. It's incredibly fast. The wind changes direction, all of a sudden, boom! You go from a foot and a half of chop to four foot white yeah. caps. That is a completely different ball game, mm-hmm. completely different realm. And if you are not experienced enough to handle that kind of water, or if you're in a watercraft that may or may not handle that kind of water very well, get off of it. Even if you can't get all the way back to camp, find a cove to duck into and just hang out, wait it out. I mean, you might spend the night there, but it's better than sinking, right? Or mm-hmm. you know, going belly up out there and having the Coast Guard come out and try to get you. If they can get to you in time. Absolutely. Yeah. A lot of things can change fast on the water out there. Yeah. So read, read the sky, read the wind, watch the wind. Well, and, and to tie that in with, you know, a, a lot of the stuff we've talked about today is very similar to the next, right? Um, yeah. If you're going in a boat, you know, make sure you have parts, make sure you have tools, make yeah. sure you have gas, make sure yeah. you have survival kit. All of those things we've also talked about in greater detail previously in this episode, but it carries through into this. Yeah. You know, um, kind of along the lines of gas, you know, and weather systems in the interior rivers, weather is still a big factor. It is. You know, especially on some of these bigger rivers. Yeah. And when you're going, (laughs) I can tell you from experience, um, going against the wind. Oh boy. On a straight stretch of river. Yeah. When it's just blasting right in your face. I have, I have been in some rough, like, <laughs> ocean-quality bad water on the Yukon River. 
It is awful. Just terrible. I think Tracy Lawrence said, uh, hope for the best, prepare for the worst in a song. Was it Tracy Lawrence? Hope for the best, prepare for the worst. (laughs) Is that how he sang it too? (laughs) No, he sang it better, but I think it was Tracy Lawrence. I ain't never heard that. I, I didn't know it was a song, but I've heard that saying. Yeah, I, a I've heard it in times. a song. Yeah. I just yeah. heard that <laughs> saying all my life. But. All right, if you're listening out there and you recognize what I just tried to sing, uh, <laughs> or if you're offended by it, you know, let us know. Mariah, it's a no from me. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a, I, I like no I said, it. if you're offended by it, um, I, I understand I was too. <laughs> well, that's funny. But yeah, I, I think that pretty much covers the, the general boating safety. For yeah, now. yeah. It's and, definitely and, something that we'll come back to later in, in greater detail. Well, and, and there's always more to talk about. There's always yeah. more specifics to yep. your situation. This is, you know, there's no blanket option for yeah. everything. But the, the point is, you know, to try and anticipate what your situation is going to yeah. uh, put yourself at risk for. Yeah. You know, are you on a river? Are you on a a, a metal boat or an inflatable boat? Yeah. Are you on the coast or in the interior somewhere? Mm-hmm. Are, you are you driving a paved road? Or, are you driving yeah. a a, yeah. a dirt road? Yeah. Are you, you know, hiking in or wheeling in? You know, yeah. all these different things present individual risks yeah. that you can try to get ahead of. Yeah. Um. I think you, you pointed it out earlier in the episode, but you know, it's, it's really, this is not a trying to be a doom and gloom episode no, no, here. No, Um, you know, there's so many awesome opportunities in this state and there's so many amazing things you can do and just have fun and have a great experience and tell awesome stories. And a lot of those awesome stories can be told after preventing something that would have turned it into an awful oh, yeah. story. Yeah. You know, and uh, just being prepared, like having all of these things, the, the, the toolkit, mm-hmm. the spare parts, um, first aid kit, yeah. survival gear to spend the night. Yeah. You know, how much different is the story when you tell, you know, a, a story about getting your wheeler stuck and man, I had to spend the night out there, yeah. and, but I had food. I had my little survival shelter. I was only planning on being out for like four hours, but ended up being out for almost two days. Yeah. You know, until I could get out of there and, mm-hmm. But man, you know, it wasn't that bad. I had all this stuff and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I was able to in reach out and, mm-hmm. you know, get, get a, an axle for my wheeler delivered or something like that. You yeah. know, whatever might've broken. Yeah. And, but how different would that story be if you yeah. didn't have any of that? Yeah. If you didn't have an in reach, if you didn't have a survival shelter, if you didn't have extra food, yeah. you just went out there with nothing but a backpack and, you know, nothing real substance in it. Only the worst of the worst stories make the news headlines. Yeah. There are thousands of Alaskans every year that go through a miniature disaster oh, yeah. on a hunting trip. And that doesn't make the news because they figured it out. Yep. They were prepared or they used the buddy system. They used their inReach or their cell phone to call a friend. And by the way, if you've got a boat in the interior, pretty handy to have a friend with a boat too. <laughs> yeah. That's it is firsthand experience right <laughs> On there. On speed dial. <laughs> yeah. A, a, a friend or a reliable connection to mm-hmm. somebody that has a boat that is capable of getting anywhere that you might go. Or a helicopter. Right. Or, or, or a helicopter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the brown shirts have helicopters in the interior. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah, ha- having somebody else with a boat that, that can help come to recover you mm-hmm. if, if you get into a bad situation is another big thing. But 
And that really translates, whether we're talking about road safety and, and hunting out of a truck or driving a long distance on one of the roads up here, mm-hmm. hunting off of a four-wheeler or an ATV of some sort, or boat activities. If you've got a connection with somebody back in town and say, look, this is where I'm going, this is how long I'm going to be gone, I'll check in at least this often. If I miss two check-ins, something went wrong. Yep. You know, to have, have something like that set up and that, man, you'd be surprised the difference in how fast help will get there if yeah. you miss two check-ins for a day or two versus you go missing for a week, but they don't know you're missing. Allow me to add one more thing to the boating. Yeah. If you're gonna, kind of like you had said, if you're on a wheeler, make sure you can bring whatever you need out with you. If you happen to walk out, if you're able to walk out, yeah, right. make sure you don't use a dark colored dry bag to uh, store your stuff yes. if you're out on a boat. Oh, it needs to be just like the Navy's camo blue. <laughs> 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 in case somebody falls in the water, they can find them easier that way. Exactly. <laughs> Use high-vis. Use something you'll be able to see. Are you talking about my black dry bag from my <laughs> yeah. paddleboard story? Yeah. I'm not poking directly at you. Thanks but. for that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I totally agree with you. Totally agree yeah, with you. Because yeah. if you end up hitting a rock, Yep. or a, a log in the water or anything happens where you're going to, that stuff, all yep. your survival gear yeah. goes overboard. Yep. One, it's probably going away. Yeah. But two, if it doesn't, you want to be able to see it. You know. Yep. So all of these really dark colored dry bags are great for when you're on land. Yeah. Not so great on the water. I just got a dark green Kuyu dry bag. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be great on land. <laughs> I'm sure it'll be in a boat at some point. But. I'm sure it will too. <laughs> yeah. Hey, it orange, was a Christmas present. Orange, yellow, and you know what? Tether your stuff to your boat. Yeah, that's a good yeah, idea. Yeah, you can. Yep. In the ocean, that's a little bit less of a big deal because if that boat goes down, yeah, yeah you've got bigger problems. It, tether it all a lot to your to waist. That way you can tow it all land as you swim. <laughs> I didn't what? know you were thinking, man. Well, you know, when it gets late and I've had a few too many Red Bulls, things really just start to blend together. But <laughs> on the interior in the rivers, tether your stuff to your yeah, boat. Yeah. yeah. Because and, if you're in the right kind of river, yeah. you know, that way, if your boat goes down and it's clear water and it's only, you know, I don't know, six to 10 feet deep, you can always tie yourself off to land, jump in. Grab what you need, mm-hmm. make a trip in and out, especially if you got more than one guy there to hold on to you, the mm-hmm. end of your rope. Um, you know, yeah. And at the yeah. very least, you'll be in there to recover that boat at some point. Yeah. And yeah. you'll have your junk. Yeah. Even right, if right. a lot of it, even is if it's soaking wet. Well, yeah. The um, waterlogged gun dried out, still a gun. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> a waterlogged gun, still in a river. Well, still better than no gun. No. But guys, we just wanted to help give a, uh, give you some tips and advice just from experiences we've had and things that we've seen uh, where, you know, we want you guys to all have the best experience out there that you can. Uh, I want you to go out, be Mm -hmm. successful, come back with great stories. uh, Try to avoid, you know, unnecessary hardships out there. And uh, so if you have, you know, we appreciate you listening. And, you know, if you have any questions about safety in the backcountry, feel free to reach out to us. We're always here to talk. Um, Well, if you're, going into a certain situation and maybe you're wondering, well, what could go wrong here? Yeah. Again, feel free to reach out. You know, we're here. This is what we do. 
This yep. is, you know, kind of why we do it is to help, you know, prevent accidents out there, yeah. whether that's through presenting knowledge on how to mm-hmm. hunt or knowledge how to be safe, knowledge yeah. how to do anything you need to do here. It doesn't hurt to bounce your ideas right. off of somebody else and see if right. you're overlooking something. Yep. Ignorance, you know, it, it, it's, you could say it's bliss in some sense, but, yeah. you know, it'll get you killed in Alaska. Yeah. So yeah. this ain't the place to mess around. Yeah. Make sure you're educated. You use the foresight and you have the tools to tackle anything and you're not guaranteed, but you have a very high chance of coming out with a great story and, you know, just a great experience. So you can turn a minor skirmish into a funny story (laughs) instead of of having it to be a disaster. (laughs) I was watching a video about, um, uh, uh, having a wood stove in your in your TP tent. Yeah. And I believe the way the guy put it of having a wood stove was it can take a character building or a character building event and make it a real nice experience. <laughs> so. so so I found that song. Okay. It's uh it's up to him by Tracy Lawrence. It is Tracy Lawrence. It okay. Tracy Lawrence. Wow. I'm not sure it was. All right. Yeah. Wow. Well now the listeners don't get to guess it. You just, you just told them about it. <laughs> well they don't they don't need to name that song with Mariah now, Humphries. I'll, uh, I'll play it I'll play it for our outro and Hey, there we go. Definitely not. We'll have to look into the legality. (laughs) You can do like a few seconds and you're good. There we go. Yeah, like if you'd like three, four seconds, I think you're good. Perfect. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Again, if you have any questions, hit us up. We have the contact button on the website at thenorthernhunter.com. We have our socials. If you search at the Northern Hunter on either Facebook or Instagram, you can send us a direct message there. Uh, Again, if you'd like to help us reach more people and get this show out uh rating a review and a subscription goes a long way that's really helps the algorithm push this show out to more people and uh just be safe out there we want everybody to have a great adventure great time great story that way you can tell us all about it so till next time be safe get out there get after it and good luck